This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Holy cow. Did Iowa explode? That's pretty cool. We're talking Iowa caucus today, the aftermath. Trump, second place. Rubio, a very, very close third. Man, Hillary... Bernie, twins at 50%. This is fun. It was a mix-up. Today we're going to be talking all things political with our uh, our insider, our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, will be joining us. And, you know, there's a, lot to, there's a lot to sort out there. How much of the coverage did you watch? A lot. You did? Well, after, after yeah, yeah. I was torn. Were you? Why? Super Bowl Media Day was going on on the NFL Network, okay. so I went over there. Sure. Yeah, that was great. I couldn't have been half as engaging as... Mm, I don't know. <laughs> they had a virtual uh, player camera, so the point of view, they put on these glasses, and you can see what they're seeing from oh, their little wow. podiums. Really? Yeah. Peyton Manning was talking. There's like 500 cameras in his face because everyone stopped to hear what he had to say because there's all kinds of There was of probably more him. excitement there than even at the... Bernie Sanders convention or Bernie Could've, Sanders I, press I, conference? I was more entertained. <laughs> <laughs> There's people with hand puppets that were trying to interview I love, NFL players. By the way, did, did Ber- like, Bernie does this thing where he kind of wants everyone to just be quiet. So, yes. But they all want to cheer for him. Yeah, they're and he always tries to hush them. Feel the burn. So he's, he's like, I'm trying quiet. to talk here. I'm trying quiet. to talk. <laughs> oh, my god. he gets interrupted. He kind of looks like he's a little annoyed. Well, I'm sure you heard then the news, right? You heard that. Theodore Cruz. Theodore won. He won. He's see, and it's a huge it. step for Canadians everywhere. I mean, if you Cana- live by the pen, you die by the pen, and my pen has got an eraser. Huh? All right, an eraser. Remember some words. Uh, he's he's made Canadians proud. Yes, <laughs> it's, all it's of, interesting. All, all of Canada can feel a, a I, sense I think of it's victory. Canada. That, it's Canada. Why? We call them Canadians. We should call it Canadia. Yeah, no, it's Canada. if they're Canadians, and we should call it Canadians. Canadians. I agree. I love English. Well, if Cruz is president, we probably will. Amongst other things, what do you think? I mean, this is interesting for Trump. See, I thought Trump was going to blow up, throw a fit, tell Iowa they're a bunch of losers, but he was very cordial. Play clip one there. We finished second. And I want to tell you something. I'm just honored. I'm really honored. And I want to congratulate Ted. Who and I is want to this congratulate yeah, all up? of the incredible candidates, including Mike Huckabee, who's become a really good friend of mine. So congratulations to everybody. Why does he care about Mike Huckabee? Well, because he's out. Mike's out. Play clip two. We will go on to get the Republican nomination, and we will go on to easily beat Hillary or Bernie or whoever they throw up there. So, yeah, okay. Who is this guy? I have no idea who that guy was. Doesn't sound like a winner. Did he mention a bimbo? No. Who is this guy? I can't 
He's not a wrecking ball anymore. We made a new new song. Well, what's interesting is when he gets wrecked, yeah. he turns into a pretty nice guy. I guess. I like this guy. I like this. W- was he shocked? I think about somebody, what happened. Yeah, I he was expecting a yeah. blowout. He lost. It's the first time he's probably done. But that. Not even that. Marco Rubio almost caught oh, him. Oh, that would have been interesting from third. But what a lot of people feel Marco Rubio uh, received the benefit of a bunch of undecided yeah. voters who showed up. 33 to 1, I think, turned toward Rubio. Which is what of a, lot, a lot of, I guess you'd call them the, what the leaders, the establishment yeah. of the Republican Party yeah. are hoping is that people will see these uh, Trump and will see Cruz and, and see that Rubio might be the better option because those two are kind of extreme. Yeah. It's kind of like... You know, when, you, when you're being sold something and they sell you an extreme, do you want the extreme yeah. or do you want the other extreme or you can just have the average one? They give you the low. Oh, I'll take the average one. The low, middle, and high. Yeah. The low you don't want. No. The high is too much. High is way too much. And the middle, eh. Yeah, I'll take we'll that, do that one. one. It just happens to be more than you want to spend. <laughs> it's, it's, Every always, time. it's a great technique. <laughs> it's interesting. And he's um, – so Rubio now, can, you know, he's trying to contend as the – establishment guy. So you don't need Christie. You don't. You don't need Jeb, exclamation point. You don't. But those you don't can- need those, guys. those candidates will now be attacking Marco yeah. as they're trying to claim his spot as that third candidate and, as the option. To and New to. Hampshire is kind of the perfect you know ground for that. This is where Theodore, I think Theodore is still number two, but oh, that's another thing we got to get into. The polls were way off. As as we, we had a guy on a couple months yeah, ago talking about how a lot of the polling still they're trying to use uh, landlines and people don't have that and people aren't people yeah. are avoiding uh, different ways that traditional polls are taken and so we're trying to the poll the people who do the polls are trying to adjust and find where the people are again so we can get yeah. accurate numbers and so we end up with polling data that's off that's so how big is Trump's lead in New Hampshire it's not that it's not as big as he claims it looks. It's not that big. I think he had a 10, 15-point lead at mm-hmm. one point that I saw, and now we're heading into the the week of New Hampshire. Well, so that's the interesting thing. Would you – some of these people you think have just – they're just done. Huckabee's done because he only he, – he had the Iowa play. That's pretty much it. He wasn't going to play very well in no. New Hampshire. Um, and he might be simply in there because there's issues that he finds important, and by running, he's able to get them into the conversation. Yeah, no, that's not happening. With Huckabee, now he's gone. But what do you think about um, you know who surprised me a bit was Carson. Carson still held nine point three percent of the vote, and then Carson got on a plane because he had to go get new clothes. Seventeen days on the road. You know. It reminds me of like you know when you'd like play with your friends and you'd be playing ball all day on a you know in the middle of the summer, and then you know there's the one kid that's like I gotta go home. Yeah. Why? I just gotta just gotta go. Gotta <laughs> go, go eat. <laughs> well, no, we're all gonna eat right here. Yeah, I, I just gotta well, go home. I guess that leaked about halfway through yeah. the process, and, and Ted Cruz Cruz's people it. sent out an email saying that uh, Ben Carson's dropping out. He's uh. leaving. So go ahead and make sure they understand this so they'll caucus for Ted He's Cruz. not leaving. He's just no. going to Florida. He needs more he needs clothes. clothes. He ran out of clothes. He needs 
clothes. His organization isn't big enough that someone could actually go and get the clothes from his house and send them to New Hampshire. He has to go get them himself. Because everyone else is just going to New Hampshire. I would just say, I just need to go home. My wife needs me. He needs a day to go hang out in Florida, wouldn't yeah. you? Oh, for sure. I mean, you just spent how much time in Iowa? Oh, yeah. And there's a, yeah. And then you're going to New Hampshire. Cold. These are cold places. Last night, I was just watching a clip. MSNBC, Chris Matthews. Yeah. They were looking at some live footage of people voting, I guess. And uh, they were talking about the the demographics of Iowa and everything. And all of a sudden, uh, Chris Matthews goes, oh, there's a minority voter. I just saw a minority voter. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, let's be frank. There's a lot of white people here. <laughs> oh, oh, my heavens. You know who else that the, the, took a hit, I think, were the uh, media kind of elites, the ones that think they know. Yeah. Because nobody knew. No. You can't because it's not a – it's not – uh, it's not really representative of America, right? In in Iowa or New Hampshire, that's they're funny, both yeah. different different uh, different uh, parts on the spectrum. The candidates have to take different positions that you can't take when you go to a national election when you run in these two states in this way, mm. and it just turns into something that you can't really predict. It's yeah, it's like it's it just reminds me of the blind leading the blind. Nobody knows, but they think they know. Trump's, by the way, not going to the debate seems to have impacted. Really? According to Cruz, uh, his pollsters were saying it was – him not going was a major impact on why Cruz could solidify a lead. Hmm. Interesting. Fox was playing that line too. Of course they were. (laughs) Don't Don't mess mess with us. Don't mess. We're kingmakers. It's uh, it's an interesting race. So we'll be talking to Joe Cannon, find out his take as the Washington insider and what this means. What does it mean going forward? And really, what does it mean about Trump? He, by the way, massive turnout, more turnout. I mean, apparently Trump received more votes in the Iowa caucus than any other GOP candidate in history. Only second to Theodore Cruz. Hmm. So... The turnout might be a really interesting thing, too, for the GOP. Apparently, the GOP, uh, they've got some pretty motivated people. Hillary, on the other side, turnout was high, but not quite as high as she may have needed it to be. Um, Let's do this. Let's get to the headlines. Terry, anything going on around the rest of the country we need to worry about? There are. Revisiting some of the Iowa caucus news, Iowa's never before seen a contest as close as Hillary and Bernie Sanders Monday night, though Clinton has been crowned the apparent winner of the uh, Democratic Iowa caucuses. She clings to that title by only 44.9% to Sanders' 44.5% last report, or a mere four delegates. Iowa Party Chairman Andy McGuire calls the race the closest in Iowa Democratic history, and it still has not been officially decided as to who is the winner. It looks like Hillary is going to be able to, by math, yeah, kind of it, hold on. It's a virtual tie. It's a virtual tie. Ted Cruz called his win in Iowa a victory for courageous conservatives, but also asked right-leaning Democrats to consider joining the Ted Cruz team. Tonight, I want to say to every member of the Democratic Party who believes in limited government, in personal opportunity in the United States Constitution, and a safe and secure America, come home. To the Reagan Democrat, you your party has left you. The Republican Party wants you. Welcome back. Wow. So he's reaching out to pull in as many people as he can. As uh, Hillary Clinton had the, the virtual tie, 
uh, with uh, Bernie Sanders. They, uh, they had this clip. Go ahead. It is rare. It is rare that we have the opportunity we do now to have a real contest of ideas, to really think hard about what the Democratic Party stands for and what we want the future of our country to look like if we do our part to build it. Hmm. It's a close, it'll be a close contest instead of a runaway. It looks like at least to the initial onset of it, of the contest, and they can have an actual discussion that she can't dismiss Bernie Sanders. Oh, yeah, no. He's, he's, he's actual competition, so she has to take him seriously. So that, that'll, deal. Be, that'll be good for the process. The hits keep coming for Donald Trump after coming in second behind Ted Cruz in the uh, Iowa caucuses. Trump has, has been mocked on Twitter, who pointed out that once tweeted a Walter Hagen quote that he may not be so fond of anymore. No <laughs> one remembers who came in second. Oh, boy. Then came the ultimate disrespect, the website loser.com. Oh, no. You type in loser.com, it redirects to Donald Trump's Wikipedia page. (laughs) So just, you know. Oh, he's hating that. Trolling. It's fun. Jeb Bush's sixth place finish in the caucuses didn't come cheap. The Weekly Standard did the math and figured out that the former Florida governor spent an estimated $2,884 on each of the 5,156 votes that he got in the Iowa caucuses. Ugh. So for 5,000 votes, he spent 2,000 ahead. And he received one delegate. And he got one delegate. That's a modest estimate, too. The tally is based on the $14 million that Bush's uh, super PAC reportedly spent in Iowa. That's an expensive delegate. Very expensive. And also, it's Groundhog Day. Oh, the results are in. Day, yes. Puxatani Phil. Yeah. Is that how you say Puxa, it? Punxatani. Puxatani Phil. Yeah. He popped out of his hole, saw no shadow, and a forecast for a shorter winter this year, according to the Rodent translators. That's interesting. <laughs> the annual Groundhog Day ceremony was the 130th prediction by Phil and his ancestors. Unfortunately, the National Centers for Environmental Information says the past weather data hasn't been recently consistent with Phil's prognostications. So he's so how many more days of winter? I don't know. A shorter winter is what they're saying. Yay! So six weeks. Isn't um, Ben a rodent um, interpreter? Could be. I'm pretty sure that's what was – that's your major, right? It was, it, it was a six-week course in high school. Oh, so it's a certificate. Yeah. Oh. Well, congratulations. Thank you. You finished it. Interesting news. Punxsutawney Phil. Groundhog Day. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It feels like it, doesn't it? Totally feels like Groundhog Day. Hey, here's the deal, folks. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be speaking with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider – Get the inside scoop on what he's hearing from uh, from all the insiders about the Iowa caucuses. This is interesting stuff, folks. The race is underway. And, man, it couldn't have started in a more interesting way. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's happening, folks. The The race is officially, uh, you know, underway. Now we're counting votes in Iowa uh, from the caucuses, and holy cow, it's happening. So we wanted to bring in our Washington insider, uh, Joe Cannon. Uh, Joe is uh, 
the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization that's trying to to basically create stronger markets for uh, fuel and um, and try to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. He's also a past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, was a candidate for U.S. Senate, and served um, as an assistant administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency under the Reagan administration, was also an editor of uh, uh, the Intermount- an Intermountain um, newspaper, Deseret News. So we bring him in as our Washington insider. He just, you know, he just travels to Washington is what he says, but we know he knows all the people you need to know. Joe Cannon, welcome to the show, my friend. Good to talk to you. It's great to be here, Matt. Hey, what do you think? What what are, what's your what's your just initial gut reaction from last night in Iowa? Oh yeah, my initial gut reaction is you had you had uh, uh, on both sides you had winners and obviously losers. Um, but uh, yeah, it's starting. Well, first of all, happy Groundhog Day. Yes, happy and, Groundhog and, Day and, to you. And it wasn't, uh, but it wasn't Groundhog Day. Yes. Yeah, yesterday it was. It was, uh, I think it produced a, a bunch of different surprises. But in terms of the winners, I think both Clinton and Sanders won. Yeah. I'll, I'll come back and talk about that in a second. I think Cruz and Rubio won. I think Donald Trump lost and a whole bunch of other people lost who were in single digits. Uh, so yeah. that, that's kind of my initial reaction. Don't you feel like... Uh, I mean, in a way, and and to me, one of the things that I think is most interesting is the turnout. It was really high turnout on the GOP side, and and high turnout, good turnout on the Democrat side. It's people are people are motivated, maybe more motivated on the GOP side than the Democratic side, but but the the turnout seemed incredible. The turnout was remarkable, literally remarkable. Uh, on the Republican side, and as you say, quite good on the Democrat side. Nothing to complain about there. So, yeah, uh, admit it was an amazing turnout, and that itself was part of the news because almost everybody predicted better turnout would help Trump. Yeah. And it turned out it helped Cruz. It helped Cruz and uh, probably helped Rubio quite a bit also. It, so. seems, it seems like your, your uh, position on Trump may have been legitimized where you said it, I think, five times on this show. Trump can pull about 25 percent. And that's about what he was able to pull. Yeah, he might do a little better in New Hampshire, but that's uh, to be seen. Yeah, yeah I, I think uh, one one fact is 75 percent of the people on the Republican side did not vote for Donald Trump. Mm. Which... But, because he also he consumes eighty percent of the media, and so <laughs> it seems like yeah, it seems like he's he's bigger than he is. But uh, like yeah, like you said, seventy five percent did not vote for him. And then that's I guess why you're saying Cruz obviously a winner. He seems he seems legit in a variety of ways. One way is that he was able to really methodically get out the vote and knew he knew he was going to be able to do it. He he had that down. Right, no question that this also proves going back to Abraham Lincoln and probably not going back to probably not George Washington since he was unanimous, but yeah, turning out your voters, identifying your voters and turning them out, that's the name of the game in politics. Cruz did an A plus job on that. Is is he 
And is he able to take this same level of organization to New Hampshire? Because he is in New Hampshire doing well. Yeah. Well, probably not exactly the same, and it's probably also not needed exactly the same way in, in New Hampshire. I mean, the caucuses really are a, a, a pretty unique animal. Yeah. And, uh, and so you have probably a, a different dragon. One, by the way, one commentator I read uh, this morning was saying that even though Rubio did really, really well, if he had done a little better job on his ground game, he might have been in second place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's clearly the ground game helped those two candidates, and Trump probably didn't have much of a, uh, uh, certainly didn't have the sophisticated level of a ground game that you need in, in Iowa. Is, is, um, can we say now that Rubio is the establishment candidate? Well, I mean, you hate the word establishment. Uh, yeah. Well, no, the reason I hate the word establishment is like, I got thinking about this last night because, of course, that's what all the commentators are saying that, you know, okay, the a quote establishment is going to coalesce around uh, Rubio. I don't know. Listeners might not know. There's, there's a group called the American Conservative Union. It's the gold standard of rating conservative candidates, uh, whether they're liberal or conservative, they rate, they rate all of them. So I, had, I didn't actually check Bernie Sanders, but I'm guessing he's pretty close to. Well, Hillary would probably be close to zero. Sanders probably does a little bit okay because he's on this position on guns, but he's close to zero. Cruz is 100%. He has a lifetime American Conservative Union rating of 100%. Hmm. But trailing deeply far behind is Senator Rubio, who is, has a 98% <laughs> lifetime uh, yeah. uh, rating for the American Conservative Union. So, so he's I, a conservative. Yeah, he's, he is a hair behind uh, Cruz. So Cruz strives for purity. So he's hmm. going to vote. He's going to vote the right way every single time, no matter what. Uh, but I would say there's not a very big difference in 198. Right. By the way, Rad, Rad Paul is also 98. So, oh, is he really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you know, you've got yeah establishment. Yeah, we're talking about two Hispanics neither of whom was given a chance in very recent years to do, to even win the, the positions that they now have. Hmm. And now they're both contenders. Well, uh, why, then, explain this to me then. So uh, going into New Hampshire now, um, you've got Trump with a large lead. I think he's like at 33 um, percent. Yet you've also got uh, – I'm trying to find here uh, – New Hampshire, the, the Boston Herald, New Hampshire Republican presidential uh, poll says that Trump's at 38 percent, Cruz is at 13 percent, Kasich uh, 8, Bush 10, Rubio 10. Um, th- you've got now – these are – this is the, everyone's calling them the governors. This is where the governors have to come out and place it seems like or they're, they're in trouble. Right. I don't see Kasich or Christie or Bush dropping out after New Hampshire, even though they did horribly, mm. badly. And, and I have some words about the Bush campaign in a second on that. But, um, no, they're staying in, and they're all going to play for the Rubio card in in uh, New Hampshire. And we'll just see what happens. I mean, you look at the the overall average of all the polls that real politics does. So then you know, Cruz, Kasich, Bush, Rubio 
are all between, you know, rounding 10 and 12%. And, of course, they all trail significantly uh, Trump. So the question is, can Trump do better than 25%? Uh, probably he can in, in, uh, in New Hampshire. And the question is, which governors, like you say, who, there's the governor's lane. Who comes out of the governor's lane? Um, all three of the governors got very badly, in my view, damaged by not doing at least a little bit better in um, Iowa. Yeah. So, Is there going to be the bump then? Is that what they're all hoping for is out of Iowa, Rubio and Cruz might get a bump? I think they're definitely get a bump. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we, we'll, we'll know later this week when polls start coming out. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think they get a bump. Bush, who himself and and his surrogates, uh, with his at least verbal support, spent millions of dollars trashing Rubio. They probably spent a lot of money supporting themselves, supporting Bush, and he just came out, you know, miserably. Yeah. Like $12,000 a, a delegate, I guess, or a vote. A vote, yeah. yeah. Well, another way to look at it is uh, a lot of people would remember the 1980 campaign, but there was a, the governor, former governor of Texas, John Conley, ran, a very wealthy guy, to spent millions and millions of dollars and ended up with one delegate. <laughs> well, so far, that's where Bush is. He's got one delegate. Right. Uh, and he spent an awful lot of money <laughs> getting there. Getting to that one delegate. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. I don't know. It's just it's it's for me. It's I'm just glad we're getting started. Let's get this thing. Let's oh get, yeah, no. Let's get rid of some of these people a, too. A, a, huge, a huge dose of reality. You know, already Huckabee dropped out. Uh, O'Malley. You know, there's, no re- there's no reason. You know, O'Malley dropped out. There's no reason for Santorum to be in this. No reason for everybody, anybody else to be in it. Uh, I mean, frankly, I'm not even I'm not sure why Fiorina would stay in, although she's she's making a bold effort in uh, in uh, New Hampshire. And I think what's happened is, at least with the governors and for Fiorina, they're saying, look, it's a week. Let's go all out, see what happens, and then yeah. decide. Although apparently, I mean, one, one story I saw this morning is, is that uh, uh, Carson, Dr. Carson, is taking – a little time to yeah. think about things. Well, but he's actually he just needs to get shirts. He needs some new clothes. <laughs> That's, right. That's it. I mean, who who after, you know, a 17-day, you know, scout camp doesn't want to just go home and get some new clothes. It's <laughs> <Right. laughs> interesting. Let's take a break, Joe. We'll be back with our Washington insider Joe Cannon continue the discussion, the mop-up of uh, Iowa, find out uh, what else is on his mind. I also want to see who has the strongest um platform maybe going forward who's who's most able financially to keep up and uh who has the organization to maybe get to south carolina and uh, through the south and over to super tuesday stick with us folks we're talking politics right here on the matt townsend show we'll be right back Welcome back, friends. 
to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we're, we're talking about Iowa and the fallout from Iowa. Interesting, interesting night. Ted Cruz takes it on the Republican side and uh, basically a tie, 50-50. Uh, but, you know, Clinton's claiming the victory and uh, the delegates, um, but 50-50 with Sanders and Clinton. Joining us on the phone is our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, is joining us again. If you can go find out more about his his goal and his desire to, to increase, you know, stronger markets for fuel use in the United States, which would lower your costs, uh, the, the website is called fuelfreedom.org. Uh, it's, a, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a good cause for all of us that want lower fuel costs. Joe, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks, Matt. What do you think um, when when you when you look at the Sanders Clinton thing? I mean, that's huge, right? Sanders basically goes to an incredibly conservative state or more conservative state and is able to pull a virtual tie. Well, yes. Although you probably heard this song all night too, but the uh, you know more people identify themselves, more Democrats identify themselves as socialists than Democrats on, mm. on the Democratic side. Dude, I did not so, see that. So the, yeah, it's a, it's a, there's a fairly liberal base. I mean, uh, why I say both of them are winners is, first of all, Clinton was way ahead of the polls, and she should have won this outright, hands down. Yeah. On the other hand, there's no state better suited for Bernie Sanders to do well, given his grassroots appeal. So they kind of fought each other to a standoff. And uh, they think for, for various reasons, you can say that they, they both won. They both mm-hmm. had a good night. It was a good night for both of them electorally. I, I will say one thing. Uh, if you Normally, you don't pay a lot of people wouldn't pay a lot of attention to the speeches after. Yeah. Uh, but I thought one of the best parts of the whole night Good and bad were speeches. The two winners, putting quotes around the winners, Cruz and Clinton, gave absolutely horrible yeah. speeches. <laughs> absolutely. I, I was texting back and forth with a bunch of friends. And, you know, um, one very smart person said, Cruz's speech made Sarah Palin look like oh. Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> I mean, it was. Oh wow! It was. It was, it was, it was a. It was not a good speech. Yeah. By by any major B, it was incredibly, boringly long for a victory speech. Right. And third, it was way. Look, uh, I and you and most of your listeners are pretty religious people. Right. He when he compares himself to uh, you know a new. It's dark on, you know, Friday, but Sunday's coming. That's all about the second coming, the first coming, mm-hmm. the resurrection. And he's, like, applying it to his campaign. And it really it troubled me, and I think it troubled a lot of people. But even taking that aside, it was a horrible, a horrible and, Well, and who, who was he speaking to? Because it seems like if you just won Iowa, you say thanks— and then you say, but you're, but you start playing to New Hampshire. He wasn't. Which is what it, he wasn't what playing. Everybody else did. Right. Exactly. He, he didn't seem I, to be playing to New Hampshire very well because that I don't that the the more religious tone and overtones don't seem to play as well in New Hampshire. Yeah, or most other states. Right. So anyway, I, I thought at every level it was it was sort of a disorganized. For the guy who's supposed to be the premier debater in the universe, it was. Uh, 
it was not a planned talk, not a thought-out talk. Hillary, on the other hand, I don't know where she was coming from. She won. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was so angry. It yeah. was like she had this, like, cast-iron face. Uh, it was just amazing. <laughs> on the other hand, uh, to the loser of the night, the biggest loser, so to speak, of the night right. was Donald Trump. And he gave a very nice, sweet, short, humble talk. I mm-hmm. mean, I, would, I was surprised. I think I and many, many people were expecting some some variation of the Howard Dean rant of some kind. And right. it was it was surprising. So I mean and then I think Rubio gave a really good talk, a really better than way better than average uh speech that was forward looking, was optimistic and mercifully short. Short. Thank you. I mean it's it is one state and um, it seems like I, I couldn't believe. I, I think everyone thought that Trump was going to implode and just destroy Iowa, um, but he did. Apparently, he's eventually going to go back and buy some property there and um, right. move in. I, I'm pretty sure if he doesn't get to the general, Trump probably won't be back to Iowa. That's my gut. <laughs> that's well, like my... he himself says, he's a New York boy. That's and, right. Uh... What do you there think? Are, did that did that play did that play off? Because that's what Cruz you know Cruz gave the line about you know the New York values, and many are claiming he was speaking to Iowa, and the Iowans bought that line. It could have. I I think it's maybe a little more simple. I think uh, I guess it. I I believe. I mean, polling could show this. Although I don't know if anybody would poll it, but I think skipping the debate really did hurt. Trump in in uh, Iowa. Hmm. I think that was. I think that that had a lot to do with the the Cruz surge. Um, yeah. No. In fact, there's. I, I hear that too. That on the ground, that's what that's what they were hearing. Um, what do you think going forward? Uh, I guess New Hampshire's one thing. Who? Which of the top three? Let's say Trump, Rubio, Cruz has. The most money has the best organization that can really take this across the country. Well, I think the top three, you know, the, the proverbial three tickets out of, of Iowa, really work. I mean, there's a clear cleavage here. You've got three uh, strong candidates. They're all well-funded. Uh, obviously, Trump can do whatever he wants, but, but they're all well-funded. They're all, uh, well, uh, Cruz is way better organized, far better organized than either Trump or Rubio. But Rubio is has a structure in every single state. So I, I think it's, a, you know, basically it's a third, a third, and a third for these guys. Yeah, they're a little, you know, a few one or two points difference here and there in Iowa. I think that will look a little bit different in New Hampshire, but I, but I still think coming out of New Hampshire – even if even if Cruz and Rubio don't come in second and third, they still they're still the strongest position for the next two states uh, going forward. And I think Trump will figure out that that you, you you can't just spend money, and he'll try to do more to get get better endorsements and uh, and try to capture the ground game of some of the local politicians in in. Uh, uh, South Carolina and Nevada. Yeah. One of the things I'm hearing is that Rubio 
I guess, is set to get an endorsement from South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, which right. could, could help a lot in South Carolina. Right. Well, it also has Trey Gowdy, I think. Yeah, so does he got, too? Uh, you've got some very potent uh, – uh, he could do pretty well in South Carolina. Well, I mean maybe that's – this is now where some of the endorsements might start falling more and – I guess historically, everyone was saying nobody likes Cruz, so I guess a lot of the senators and Congress people might end up favoring more Rubio. Well, a lot of them do, whether they've come out or not. Uh, it's, it's it's pretty clear that, that Cruz is the least popular senator. Right. What, what, do you, what do you think in the end this tells us about – I mean the pollsters were also off, right, and the talking way heads – in both races, in both sides, both Democrat and Republican, I, I heard one stat, I didn't really check it out, but the, the, there were 13 polls in a row that showed Trump winning by a little or a lot. Hmm. And then on the on the Democrat side, it, every poll had Clinton uh, had, even though there was right, right toward the end, there were a couple of polls that showed Sanders uh, coming close. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think, well, in general, polling is getting worse uh, in terms of it's harder to do. And in Iowa in particular, it's really, really hard. I mean, 180,000 people is, is a lot of people just on the Republican side. But how do you poll who those are beforehand? And, and you can, and people do, but it's it's hard. Right. Oh, right. I mean, and. But there was still, but that doesn't excuse that there was a very big mistake on the Republican side. Very, very. I mean, not a mistake, but the uh, uh, goof-ups on the uh, on the uh, pollster side. Mm. I mean, and it's interesting because that you're a media person, you know, you're an editor, and um, you know that 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 could then be the the media skewing the elections. I mean, not to a big degree, but it does change the argument when you're quoting all these false numbers and stating them as fact. Well, I think really even in the last uh, two big election cycles, I think people are losing. I don't think the polls have had quite the resonance among voters that they have had, just given given the mistakes that have been made and uh, you know, in multiple campaigns at this point. I mean, they've been wrong at the at the national level, also. Hmm. I mean, in the end, I guess what, what what's your take? So, it was a shocking night. Um, we we did learn a lot. We learned a lot, you know, that people actually don't know. We learned a little bit more about Trump. You know, might have a little more fluff than fiber. I don't know. Um, what else did we learn? What else should be a takeaway? Old fashioned politics works. It worked on both sides of the aisle there in in, uh, in Iowa. I think a, a, another big takeaway is that uh, <clears throat> when asked, and I'm sorry, I tried to find the actual number, but uh, who who voters thought could defeat Hillary Clinton on the you know who which Republican could, uh, Rubio was far and away ahead of, mm. of everybody else, and uh, Rubio also comes off as the most likable. So as things start getting down. You know, to the to the nitty gritty, um, you could have. I mean, people talk about a broker convention. We, we've talked on this show. It's not really going to be a broker convention. 
But just the bottom line number, Cruz now has eight delegates. Trump has seven delegates. Rubio has seven delegates. Mm. On the Democrat side, Clinton, at least now, has 22 delegates, and Sanders has 21 delegates. So this could be a long slog that goes pretty far into it. I think your question earlier is really the right one. Who has the organization and the money to, to go forward? And I think you saw the three most likely people last night on the Republican side. I think uh, Sanders is going to win New Hampshire, but not by as much as people thought. And then, and then he's going to go into a slow and maybe a fast fade out because I don't think he may have the organization. He has some money, but I think Democrats are coming to themselves and saying, we can't nominate Bernie Sanders. We just can't do that. Right. And I think that's going to really help uh, uh, Clinton. But if you, if you pull Bernie out of the equation, it, it seems like, and you've made this point before, that the reason Obama won is because he could invigorate a block of voters that wouldn't normally vote because he just brought energy. Will Clinton, with sans uh, Bernie Sanders, be able to bring energy? It seems like there's not a lot of energy towards Clinton as, as yeah, compared to yeah, Sanders. I, I, I spent most of the time last night watching MSNBC and looking at uh, kind of the Democrat side of things. And there's, there's clear fear that she won't be able to do that. Yeah. And and if anything, her speech reinforced that. She was the winner, but she didn't sound like a winner. Right. Her her husband behind her looked like a winner. <laughs> but, but she she just was angry. Yeah. And it was uh, just so odd to watch that. Uh, if you turn the sound down and just watched watched it, it was like, "Hey, come on, you you don't look like the winner and you won." Yeah, the first female, the first female candidate winning Iowa in history, and she didn't quite seem like she felt like that. She was angry. No, she, she was angry, and then she went all in, Bernie. Yeah, she just became a Bernie clone, and <laughs> I don't think that's a that's a, that might be a prescription for helping her a little bit into Hampshire. I don't know. That that could be. I mean, they, you know, all politicians poll. And focus group test lots of messages, and she was clearly trying to. Uh, she was speaking to New Hampshire probably more than anybody else last night. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, it's an interesting thing. Well, we appreciate you, Joe. Anything else we need to be focusing on? No, that was a, a lot of a lot of interesting news out of Iowa yesterday. Yeah, it's a, it's a real, it's for a political junkie. It was. Uh, <laughs> Getting close to Nirvana. <laughs> it's right. Now we get to do it again next Wednesday, I guess, or is it next right. Tuesday? Um, next man. Tuesday for New Hampshire. Yeah. Mm. Get excited. Well, Joe Cannon, we appreciate you, our Washington insider. Thanks, and take care of yourself. Okay, Doug. Thanks a lot, Matt. You bet. Bye bye. Again, you can find out uh, more about Joe at Fuel Freedom Foundation, FuelFreedom dot org. Interesting stuff, folks. Um, this is your process, right? Hope you're you're like vetting your candidate. Who do you want? Who do you like? And uh, stay tuned. We'll 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 keep discussing it. Um, it's the real deal. Politics in America. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, again, it just seems like a sideshow sometimes, a circus, um, when the candidates are, are you know, going head-to-head when they're fighting for your vote, for your attention. But remember, these, uh, these, these people end up running your government. And um, just to kind of update you on a – or actually introduce to you an, a, a reason why we might want to pay attention, listen to this. Did you know that the feds – Spent four hundred and six thousand dollars texting Latino men, telling them to exercise. Uh, National Institutes of Health uh, is spending more than four hundred grand to send text messages to Latino men, hoping to encourage them to exercise. Uh, it's all because of a study. University of California, San Diego is conducting the study and is attempting to employ. Lower cost methods to motivate uh, people, and in this case, just in this one case, Mexican-Americans, you know, to get out there and start working out. The study promotes, is designed to promote the physical activity among at-risk populations. So, you know, they do this all the time. But $400,000 toward texting a message. I mean, I guess we're learning, right? We're also... It's a study. We're learning how to promote better health. Oy vey. But for a country with, you know, $19 trillion in debt, we probably need to start watching some of our money. And, again, we want to promote health, no doubt. Um, but, man, are there better ways? Who knows? Who knows, folks? This is why, though, in the end, pick your race. Pick your person. Learn what they're into Go study their agenda and get involved. This is your country. This is your uh, this is your chance to 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 pay back, I guess, and to help create a stronger, healthier country. We're going to take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll come back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you see the good in the world. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program and uh, happy Groundhog Day to you. One of the greatest days, the groundhog pops his little head out of the hole, and apparently he saw his shadow. No, he didn't see his shadow. I think the more important thing is most stories you read on this, yeah. you find out that uh, most of the time he's wrong. So Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. You're saying the age-old groundhog head out of the hole, see the shadow from a rodent, yes. isn't accurate? No. You're a monster. I am. Why on earth would you destroy a piece of Americana like that? Mm, I I don't know if I did. I just oh, told you what I read. You did. Is my it my friend. fault now? Yes. What about De Blasio, who dropped one of the groundhogs? At, I think at the <laughs> whatever the zoo is in New York, and it died a couple days later. <gasps> did he really? That was several years ago, but. But you, you know, I think what? it was De Blasio that did that. I think if you break a groundhog, it's like seven years bad luck. Is that what that is? Mm-hmm. It's like a mirror. Yeah, 
It's like worse. It's probably nine years bad luck. Wow. Did he really drop a groundhog? Yeah, he dropped the. It, it bit him well, or yeah. something, and so he dropped it, and then a few day, a couple weeks later, it died. And so I don't know if it was connected, but they blamed well, the bear. He probably maybe he didn't die because he was dropped. Maybe he died because he bit De Blasio. Could have been. Maybe po- poisoning by politician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those those vermin they can't handle. They can't handle those the politicians' blood. They have a specific type of venom. Politicians do. <laughs> uh, so we've you know we spent the entire last hour on Iowa. So basic thing: Trump lost, yeah. Cruz won, Rubio third place, close to second place, Clinton Sanders virtual tie with Sanders and or Clinton a slight edge. Just looking, I don't think they've officially declared a winner in that. Yeah. Though I think we've kind of just assumed that, as everyone else has, that Hillary Clinton won because of math. Well, and Sanders, I think, personally doesn't care. No. Because it's not winner take all. It's the same victory for him. He he, he established that – he comes from nothing, and as he said in his uh, his speech last night, that they they challenged the biggest political machine in America, mm-hmm. and look what we did. That's great. I like him. I really like his wife. They're a cute couple. <laughs> but he's he's a comb his hair. Well, that's part of his image. As one of the many shows I watched said, that he looks like a man who combs his hair with a balloon. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I guess. If but you like static. Healing. He looks like a rock star. He looks well, like Mick except, Jagger. Except for the part where he's trying to quiet everyone down yeah. constantly so he can talk. Instead of hyping him up, which you like because that's just legit. He just wants his message to be heard. Yeah. So quit being all excited. <laughs> I think it's cool. And he's getting – he's turning out the vote for heaven's sakes. Turning out the vote. Anyway, uh, interesting, interesting stuff. Um Anything that uh, – I don't know. The, there's so much news about politics that it's kind of – it's overwhelming everything else. It is. But did you hear about the new um, – my new health thing I'm going on? My new health craze? Oh, it's our new health segment of the day feature mm-hmm. for three days. Yeah. I have... am the healthiest human ever known to man. What was yesterday? Remember that? Uh-uh. I try not mm-hmm. to remember yesterday. Yesterday was a long day for me. I'll have to think about it. Yeah, Go think ahead. about it. But today I'm starting a new health craze um, called the Taco Cleanse. It sounds painful. Oh, but... yesterday was the Chick-fil-A Nugget. Ah, Nugget diet. Plan. Uh-huh. Eating eat nuggets like eight times a day. Yeah. Now we're on to the Taco Cleanse. No, I think you eat it four times a day, don't you? Eight-piece nugget four oh, times a day. Yeah. It was like $23 a, a yeah. day or something. Yeah, which is not that much. No. And I th- like to throw in... The waffle fries. The waffle fries. But now I'm going to do the tortilla-based wellness plan that involves eating tacos for every meal. I love this one. Tacos are a heavenly fruit. It's a new book that captured the uh, national imagination with um, promises of tortilla-based wellness. Jennifer Aniston is riveted by it. This came from People magazine. That's her testimonial, I guess. Riveted! outlines how eating tacos for every meal will transform your life. Uh, by the way, I have no doubt that that's true. If you eat a taco for every meal, your life will be transformed into whatever that would be. Death. If, yeah. if not physically, spiritually. 
or if wow. not physically or spiritually, just chemically. Yeah. It's a lot of taco. I think it depends where you get your tacos, though. Yeah. Good point. There's some rules. They, they give some rules on In what fact, constitutes here are, a taco. To, this is my new plan. Um, you eat a taco for every meal. While the recipes in the book are vegan, they do not say that all of your tacos must be vegan. You must find a balance that works for you. The only rules are that are strict that, that that are strict are those surrounding the definition of a taco, which is important. Start with defining your terms. A taco is only a taco if it meets these five requirements as outlined in the book. Number one, a taco has only one fold. Hmm. Very you, true. You don't have a bifold or a trifold taco because it's no longer a taco. Yeah, it's more like a crisp or a. Or you can't roll torta. if you roll it up. It's like a taquito. So yeah, right, right, taquito. Yeah, yeah. Tortillas must be flat, not bread. Right, so you can't have like a pita. Yeah, you got to have a tortilla. a tortilla. Yeah, or a waffle or something. Yeah, but waffles are the exception. Really, you can have a waffle taco. Okay. Which sounds fantastic. Get a waffle, maybe put some eggs, fruit, some, I don't know, I'd put no, sausage, no fruit. bacon. Fruit. Yeah. Maybe a dessert taco. Uh, a taco must be handheld and portable. Yes. So you can't be tied down to a fork and a plate. And a burrito is never, ever, let's get real, a taco. It's ever. Too, it's too big. Jeez. There's too much going on there. And it's not, burritos aren't folded, they're, they're rolled. Yeah. Sheesh. It's common knowledge, you think, on the burrito, but the rest of it's kind of interesting. And the basic idea is it's a cleanse because if you do this for 30 days, you'll probably be cleansed. Of what? I have no idea. Of all other base types of food? Yeah. The book claims that the effects of the taco-based diet would be felt immediately, which, again, I do not doubt. I do not doubt that your life would be transformed over time, and you would feel the effects of eating a taco every meal. You'd feel. What it if it was a high quality taco? I think you'd still feel it immediately. Really? Okay. Oh yeah. Don't you think? Like, I just just look at it this way: your twentieth day, hmm. your sixty taco it's, meals. It sounds really good. But sixty meals, yeah, made of tacos. That's eventually you're going to be like, ugh. I want I've, cereal. I've eaten the same salad for lunch for like four years. Really? Yeah. So a taco every day, that's right up my alley. I, I could do that. You eat the same salad? Yeah. Is it? It's like a taco. Is it a taco salad? Thingy, yeah. Every wow. day. Four years straight. My wife goes, let's wow. try something different. I go, no. No. Why? Just go ahead. We'll just continue this way. Let me figure this out. Me yeah. already like I me, like, I look forward to. Me think di- is good. You think you'd get tired of it? I look forward to it every day. Do you day. really? I do. So you have already basically had the taco cleanse sans lunch. Taco. Yeah, just every every day for lunch. My wife gets mad when we have the same dinner like two days in a row. She gets annoyed. But, and she goes, what do you want for dinner? I go, can we have what we had yesterday? She goes, no. I'm like, you're a very, very, very simple man. Very simple. <laughs> you could make the same food for me. I, it's it's that's great. food, but I enjoy it. It's no, not like great. I'm just, you know, eat it and don't think about it. Oh, yeah. It's good food. Um, ben has the same meal every day, ramen. Ramen, well. Ramen breakfast, ramen lunch, ramen dinner. Yep. <clears throat> In the morning, I put syrup on my ramen. Mm. For lunch, I put salsa on my ramen. Salsa ramen. And then for dinner, Ooh, you I- you spice it up with a little? I eat raw ramen. Wow. Do you cook it, or is it just like a, a cracker ramen? Um, 
That's gross. That, that's my snack ramen. Oh, okay, okay. I saw him had he had two top ramen bricks with ham and cheese in between it, and he was eating it like a sandwich. Oh wow, crunchy. Yeah, it was that, a loud sandwich. That was a new a new ramen yeah. product I was trying. Ham out. and cheese ramen. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. But I could do this. You could do fish tacos. You, you could. could. You just keep mixing it up. There's all kinds of recipe books where you could find different ways to approach. Mm-hmm. The taco, a pork, beef, Ugh. chicken. Brr. No? Brr. It sounds riveting. That whole book they, they talk about is vegan. Mm-hmm. I've been eating a lot of, um, what's it called? Hummus. Ugh. I love hummus. I can't get past the fact that it sounds like pumice. Well, you don't have to use your pumice. Well, I know, but it just, ugh. and then just the taste isn't something I'm. It's the texture you don't like. Yeah. That's what's funny about and it's, me. It's, I love the texture of hummus. It's always at parties where, you know, people listen to, I don't know. Enya. Well, Enya. And they're just, you know, it's just. Yanni. They're, they're rolling their Birkenstocks and jumping in their what do you, man. Subaru Outbacks. And, Why don't you just go have your taco salad and eh. get off your high Birkenstock horse? Well, I just think that, you know. Yeah. Hummus is that the people on the high horse eat. That's what I exactly. My yeah. wife loves it, so I, I, I talk love about her some high horse. Hummus. That's about as vegan <laughs> as I get. A little hummus, little uh, little chickpea. So anyway, if anyone wants to join me on the taco cleanse, you're not going to do it. I, I'm probably I'll probably go to Taco Bell today. That's not the tacos they're 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 speaking of. They want you to make the tacos. Hold it. Is it flat? Yes. Have one fold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Handheld, absolutely not a burrito. And I'm not big on the crunchy shell. They yeah. tend to fall apart. And yeah. they roll the the soft tacos, which is a problem. Yeah, see that? Well, I just you unroll them. You, you can unroll a taco. <laughs> but it's already been yeah, they, they tri- already folded. Ready for you. You guys. All right. You're ruining a good diet. Um, let's get to the headlines, Terry. Anything going on around the rest of the world? Iowa caucuses full of surprises Monday night, including a record turnout. Party officials said the Iowa Republican Party said it hit a new high with estimates of more than 180,000 voters compared to the previous record of 121,000 voters. Uh, Many places I saw just anecdotally talking about one location had to move it from inside a, a building in a gym out to the parking lot because they had so many people near the colleges. They apparently had really really high turnouts as the, uh, the kids were motivated to get out and vote which they thought would be a weakness of bernie sanders possibly but that, he got the kids out. he got the kids Sweet. out so ted cruz won the republican caucus uh garnering an, uh, roughly 28 percent of the vote cruz outpulled donald trump who, who brought in 24 percent of the vote and marco rubio who fell a mere 2,000 votes short of catching the front runner business mogul for second place hmm. this is no ordinary election 2016 is not just a choice between two political parties. 2016 is a referendum. It is a referendum on our identity as a nation and as a people. In America, there are only two ways forward for us now. We can either be greater than we've ever been, or we can be a great nation in decline. Rubio's surprising third-place finish indicates momentum in a race where he was previously written off. Four of the five top-winning candidates last night are not, they're all fighting against the status quo. Clinton's yes. the only one that's kind of 
It's not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Bernie Sanders, one fighting against the status quo, took to the stage in Iowa on Monday night, declared the Iowa caucuses a virtual tie with Hillary Clinton. While the results are not complete, it looks like we have about half of the Iowa delegates, he said. He congratulated Clinton for waging a very vigorous campaign, but the people of Iowa have sent a very profound message to the political establishment, to the economic establishment, and by the way, to the media establishment. Oh, yeah. As Sanders Boom. shakes his fist and tells everyone to be quiet so we can continue to talk. They're, they're cheering in between each of these comments, <laughs> by the way. Uh, it's just too late for the establishment politics and establishment economies uh, and America's corrupt campaign finance system, as Bernie Sanders went on. Former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee decided he is going to suspend his campaign. Why do they call it suspending instead of dropping out? Because they want to keep it in, they want to keep the engine in the vehicle in case they need to get back in. Gotcha. Also, former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley also suspended his presidential campaign. Because any delegates they have, they they still have to keep it going. That's right. If you suspend instead of just drop out. I guess they go back. The World Health Organization declared Monday that the spread of the Zika virus in, in the Americas now constitutes an international emergency. The statement came as the agency convened an emergency meeting to assess the mosquito-borne virus's 2015 arrival in Brazil, resulting in a spike in re- uh, related birth defects and an eventual spread northwards throughout the Americas. Experts ex- predict as many as 4 million cases in the Americas this year. Hmm. And in other news, Google had their earnings call. Or, you know, Google well, is... They're the, now... They're now called Alphabet. Well, Alphabet is the parent company, right. and Google is um, one yeah. of the companies. So Google's parent company, Alphabet, topped Apple to become the most valuable U.S. traded company in the world on Monday. Alphabet share jumped 4% in extended trading hours after re- reporting fourth quarter results above expectations, knocking Apple from the number one spot. Apple's market value, $555 billion, compared to Apple's $533 wow. billion. G is for Google. Yes. That's and all I have to say about A that. A is now for Alphabet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. T, no, Y is for YouTube. Everything else starts with a G, so because <laughs> it's all Google. <laughs> Interesting. That's seriously big news because, yeah. you know, but that could Apple's change. struggling a bit right now. That could change with just a percentage of up or down by either stock. Or a new iPhone coming out, right? Could be. That's all it takes. Good stuff. Interesting news. Um, okay, so here's the question for you. If you had to choose between having more time or a bigger paycheck, which would you choose? Having more time to be with your family, to live your life, to, to you know, have a life, would you rather have that or more free time? Well, in a minute, we are going to be uh, working and talking with um, Ashley Willens, who has been doing research on the very subject. She is going to be talking to us about uh, the latest findings about how you value your time more than money and how it is directly linked to your happiness. Interesting, interesting outcome. Stick with us, folks. We'll be uh, talking time and money when we come back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little Coldplay for you. And uh, their song, Clocks, you know, Clocks, major part of our lives. And would you believe they impact your happiness to one degree or another? You know, if you had the choice, 
Would you choose to live closer to work but earn a lower salary or live a substantial distance away from your work and earn a higher salary? Questions similar to this one were posed by researchers at the University of British Columbia in a recent study on valuing time and money and how it relates to happiness. The lead researcher on this study, Ashley Willans, joins us now live from Vancouver to teach us what she's, she's learned. Ashley, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me this morning. You bet, and congrats on this great research. I mean, it's you're killing it. You're a, you're a PhD candidate or student, and you're getting all this press because you're hitting. It seems like a pretty a pretty big topic. Yeah, I mean, time and money uh, are definitely two of our most valuable resources, and I think is what really interesting about this search is that we don't often think about time and money being related toward one another. Right. We show that. Uh, people who value time over money um, do seem to be happier than people who value money over time. Now, that it's it's I guess that's just you know Grandma taught me that, <laughs> right? Well, well. So the the interesting thing about our research. So in our lab, we study the relationship between money and happiness. And although most people say they know what's good for their happiness, yeah. they're not always the best at acting. They don't do it, do they? They think they know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and why is that? Because it seems like it's, I guess it is, we're hungry. We're, we want more money and maybe we get into habits that have us chasing the money. Because isn't this a lot of the research showing that as we age, we, we even get wiser to this, this effect? Yeah, absolutely. So across our studies, we find um, that people who value time over money, that's associated with greater happiness, and that exactly what you're saying, Matt, that people sort of clue into this over time. Mm. So uh, older people in our studies were more likely to say that they valued having more time at the expense of having less money. And I think uh, in terms of, you know, the wit- you know, when you're coming to think about having money or having time, it's really hard. There's a lot of reasons why people are not very good about making decisions about time. We always think, so there's this really funny effect in in, um, behavioral science called the yes, damn effect. And (laughs) basically what it is, is the future feels way more uh, free than the present moment. So you know today that you're, you know, right now we're, we're in the middle, you know, on the way to work or, you know, and we know the hundred thousand things that we have to do today. But Two weeks from now, your calendar looks open and you think that you have all of the time in the world. So people especially aren't very good at making decisions about time because we always think that we're going to have more time in the future than we do in the present moment. Whereas the value of a dollar today, so if I have $5 today, $5 today is worth $5 tomorrow. But when it comes to time, people devalue having more time in the future. Isn't that interesting? And that's just human nature, I guess. Just, mm-hmm. I, I guess because we, we, we always think the future is going to be rosier. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably a healthy coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah. otherwise the fu- you're dead, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably pretty good to, to be overly optimistic about the future. But when it comes to, you know, making trade-offs between money and time, you need to ask yourself, you know, if, if I had the choice today, would I want that extra half an hour? You know, I, I, since publishing this research, I often like 
you know, you know, try to hack my own life related to time and money. So, you know, I'm always like to my husband, you know, well, you should really take the toll bridge. If the toll bridge is going to save you 20 to 20 minutes each way, you should definitely take that. <laughs> so true. Uh, but, but I guess, too, then, then what do we do with our – I mean, it's almost like if I save – I know that if I was given um, a free day today, I know yeah. how I would spend it. A lot of times I would just spend it the exact same way I spent – Every other free day I have, almost just recuperating from my non-free days, instead of right. instead of doing something new and and beneficial. I don't know, and something that might just foster happiness. I instead kind of retreat and re-entrench into my just survival mechanism. Yeah. I call it Netflix. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I so that's a good point, Matt. I think. This, you know, buying time or buying happy time involves a little bit of forward planning. Not only do you have to get over the fact that you think you're going to have more time in the future than you do today, but you also have to use that time. So one really good way of doing this is pre-committing your future self. So finding some, finding someone to do something fun with, getting a class, you know, doing like taking a cooking class with a friend, signing up in advance. And pre-committing a few hours every week mm. to doing something that is new or enjoyable is an experience. So we also know from research looking at the relationship between money and happiness that experiences are good. So they actually provide a bigger boost in happiness than just buying stuff. Um, so you could plan an experience with a friend. We also know, of course, that social connections are really good for happiness, but that interestingly people sort of undervalue talking to strangers or new people, meeting new people, they think that it won't be as enjoyable as it actually is. So anything that you can pre-commit yourself, your future self, with a friend to doing something that um, is an experience that involves social connection, that maybe gets you out of your shell, gets you out of that daily routine, is would be a great use of, hmm. of you know your future free time. So buying yourself out of some of the inconveniences of, of everyday life, like having a long commute, and then also using that free time in better ways, like, you know, exactly like getting a, I don't know, a cooking class or going to an exercise class, doing something different with that time. My colleague um, at the Harvard Business School, Mike Norton, also finds that really interestingly, one really good thing that you can do with your free time is uh, volunteering. And not only is that good for happiness, but interestingly, people who give away their time actually feel like they have more of it. Sounds counterintuitive, yeah. but whenever, whenever you're giving away something, you're like, oh, this must be something that I have. Like, I am it, giving away time, so I must have lots of it. Um, and so that is actually a, one really good thing that you might be able to do with that extra free time. Yeah, and it sounds like giving it away almost makes it a service or an act, which probably helps happiness. Yeah, for it's, sure. So it, in our lab, we also have research showing that Doing, doing things for others, so in terms of financial generosity, is good for happiness and health. So right. exactly, volunteering, not only does it benefit you, it makes you feel like you have all this free time, um, but it might also benefit your happiness as well. Oh, man. This is interesting, Ashley. Um, I, I, and I love it because so much of it is just – it does seem you know, kind of like what our values have – you know, just traditional kind of Judeo-Christian values. Yeah, time over money. 
Um, but then, yeah, we get sucked into the, the play for the money. Let's take a break, Ashley, and uh, come back, continue discussing this. We are speaking with Ashley Willans, who is um, a professor or a, a, a Ph.D. student, a Ph.D. candidate um, there in uh, British Columbia, at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. And she's talking to us about her article, Valuing Your Time More Than Money, It's Linked to Happiness. Uh, interesting, interesting insights, folks. Man. Really, common sense, yet common sense validated academically. It's awesome. Good stuff. We'll take a break. Continue to stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. More on time and money when we come back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. She works hard for her money, so you better treat her right. Ashley Willans is joining us. She is a a research at the University of British Columbia and is uh, one of the authors of a recent study on valuing time or money and how it relates to happiness. And she's talking to us about the fact that those people that value time more than money, it actually are happier and... um, and I guess, Ashley, first, welcome back. Thanks yeah, for giving thanks. us your time without any money. We this appreciate is pretty it. happy time, though. Yeah, it is. No problem. I'm, I'm <laughs> loving it. Is it um, – there, so you're saying there's a direct – there's a correlation between people that are choosing their time and valuing their time over their money. They actually are – they're happier. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And we found that, I think it's important to note, we found that uh, sometimes psychology studies, they're like, but don't you just study college students? Uh, so we found this in a nationally representative sample of Americans, working adults in Canada, and college students. So it seems to be a pretty strong finding that people who value time over money um, seem to be walking around a little bit happier than people who value having more money over time. And when they, and then did you study and what they do with their time? Like when I, so time, I mean, I could have time and then just stand in the parking lot for an hour, <laughs> but, but I guess it's taking my time and, and go, like you're saying, going, being with family, being with friends, going out and doing mm-hmm. activities. Those, that's what really also adds to the happiness. Yeah. So what we see across our studies is that people who value having more time at the expense of having less money. So they say that they would give up some some of their discretionary income in order to have more time. There are also people who are more likely to get rid of things that we all don't like doing. So when we offered some of our participants a prize in a lottery, people who valued time over money were more likely to choose a house cleaning service hmm. um, as a lottery incentive that would get rid of a couple of hours of, you know, we always laugh about this in the lab, but like scrubbing the toilet bowls, like the most awful parts of yeah. your weekend um, versus just having a cash prize. People who valued time over money were also more likely um, to volunteer their time, to work fewer hours, and were more politically engaged. We all know that those things are good for happiness. Hmm. Um, and then even in terms of major life decisions, so people who said that they valued having more time at the expense of having less money were also more likely to say that they would choose a job that had more flexible hours, that for college students, the college students that we sampled, they said that they were willing to, to go to graduate programs that required fewer hours and all of these things. So we know that over, like 
people have a tendency to overwork, and we know that overworking is bad for happiness and stress. Um, so it seems that in general, people who value time over money are doing things both on a daily basis in terms of being more likely to go to the more expensive grocery store that's closer to their house, but also they're more likely to make major life decisions, such as where to live and where to work, that are conducive to happiness. So it seems that people who value time over money sort of have an edge in terms of uh, the way that they think about using their time yeah. to maximize happiness. And, and they, I guess, and then because time matters, they keep choosing time. They may keep making more pro-time decisions that keep buying them more and more time. Yeah, exactly. It's and, and to your And to your point, um, you know, it does matter what we do with that free time. So we have other research um, that we're currently working on on publishing, um, showing that, you know, just buying yourself out of these kind of negative experiences, like having someone clean your house a couple of hours a week, not, is not necessarily going to get you, buy you that happiness. You also have to use that time in better ways. Right. So we find uh, some evidence of people who use money to change the way they spend their time by, like, outsourcing or getting a house cleaning service every couple of hours that there that that is that there is a link to happiness but really only when people use that you know buy time on the weekends and then use that free time to spend with their close friends and family Hmm. so really interestingly we do find evidence that just getting rid of negative like some evidence that just getting rid of negative stuff or using money to buy yourself more minutes doesn't necessarily buy happiness. And you also have to have the intuition to spend that time in better ways. Yeah. What happens? Uh, it was a representative sample you said that you used nationally. What happens to maybe um, the lower economic strata or strata that mm-hmm. um, that they don't like Maslow's hierarchy? They they have to right. make the money. Um, that must be almost in a, in a in a way additionally stressful um and and does it impact their happiness mm-hmm. more dramatically yeah, so I, yeah that's a great question um in this research i think it's really important to note that we're talking about discretionary income and almost everybody in our sample had some discretionary sure. income so what we find that's sort of interesting across all of the studies that we conducted is that even for people at the lower income in our studies, valuing time over money was associated with greater happiness. Mm. So controlling for income, both people in the at the lowest end of our income bracket and the highest in, in, that were making the most money yeah. in our studies, they all benefited nearly equally from, like there's no difference, they all benefited equally from valuing having more time over having more money. Of course, this is not to say that we, we did not have people below the poverty line in our studies. So it is possible. We are not, whenever we're talking about this research, we're not talking about, you know, trading rent money for a vacation. Right. Right, yeah. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah, good, okay. We're talking about, yeah, the discretionary income that we all yeah. have. So if you're someone that can afford to buy a latte at Starbucks three times a week, which is a lot of most of us, right. um, then you're also the kind of person that can think about instead of spending so that you know, instead of spending that fifteen twenty dollars on Starbucks every week, to save that money and maybe spend it on getting a house cleaning service once a month, and then using that time to to hang out with your friends and family. Oh, I love that, and it's, um, I mean, again, it's it just makes you feel like there's hope, right? Like if I could just put my move and move my focus from being so money centric, it's almost like 
whether you're abundant-minded or kind of scarcity-minded. And a lot of us have maybe been raised thinking there's not enough, so just keep working. There's not enough. You might lose your job. Just keep working. Just Mm -hmm. keep working. And yet your family can suffer. Your health could suffer. Your happiness suffers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's really interesting, especially North American culture. So sometimes people, you know, People in my department are like, well, you know, is buying time, you know, only a thing in, in North American cultures. And, and I think it's in, an interesting idea that maybe we actually need a little bit more help than other people hmm. around the world. Yeah. There's a lot of, con- you know, countries that are more communal than uh, North American countries. And so that means they spend more time. They prioritize, you know, their, their family life. So my, my husband's Italian and they all come home for an hour and a half in the middle of the day to have yeah. lunch with each other. And they all live very close to each other and live very close to work. And their whole society is structured a lot more around having more and better time than North American society. So I think thinking about, you know, especially for, you know, um, for us in this busy, industrialized country, valuing time over money might be particularly important because we have to sort of work against the status quo. We have to sort of work against the structures that are in place that, you know, lead us to to work a lot or think we have to work a lot. Um, And so it could be particularly important to use money to buy time and also to value time over money, especially in the North American context. What did you find about the people that actually value money over time? How do they spend their money? How do they spend their life that's different? Yeah. I mean, we're really looking at it in the context of these studies as sort of a dichotomy. So we did ask people to choose whether or not they were more like a person who valued time over money or more like a person who valued money over time. And we see that, again, very consistently with other research is we find that people who value money, they spend more of their time working. Um, They tend to be younger. Um, and, and I think, you know, there, it, there is some sense in that when you're younger, you're trying to establish your yeah. career, um, you're trying to make it toward major life milestones, you know, get married, um, buy a house, have a family. And so I think a, an interesting next direction for this research is to really track people over time. So right now we are uh, and see how these orientations change over over one's life and whether those change, like whether the, the values that people have change and how that impacts their happiness mm. over the course of their lives. So we're running a study right now with 4,000 college students and we're tracking their orientation. So whether they value time over money when they come to college and then also how their, that influences what major they choose and then also what jobs they choose and who they end up with. And it could be too also that fit matters. So, you know, at certain times of our lives, it might be more, more important to value time over money or money over time. And, at these different, so again, when you're younger, maybe it's better that you're v- valuing money if that's what you you need to right. do. Um, so we're conducting lots of new studies now to kind of understand like when should people value time over money? Um, because if you're valuing time, but maybe you should be valuing money, that might make you feel good in the moment, but over the course of your life might have detrimental effects on oh, happiness. Yeah. So we're tracking people over, uh, you know. You get back to me in like five years. Oh yeah, I'm for sure. People, I'm calling you again. Ash. Versus, okay, that sounds good. You and I have a date. Five That's right. Years but you today. better have your PhD done, Ashley, because if you're not I, done I by then, I do. <laughs> I know. Sometimes you never know, do you? Did you find anything in your research about gender? Does gender does it split in any interesting way by gender? 
No. So in our studies, um, both men and women were equally likely to value time over money, which I think is interesting. Again, it would be interesting to see how these orientations change after people have kids. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because you could really imagine that if you, even if you prioritize money, once you start having kids, maybe you just want to hang out with them. And oh, that's yeah. That's probably pretty good for happiness if you're also not conflicted. You're not trying to make money and also trying to enjoy the time that you spend with your kids. Well, plus you're out of shape. With every child we had, I gained about 10 pounds. And so I have six kids, so you figure that out. And um, <laughs> But, you know, it's then you're you're winded. It's harder to work longer. It's, you know, sure you get promoted, but you want to be with your, I just saw it with my, uh, with my grandchild and my daughter, I mean, and the son, he can hardly wait to get home. He used to be able to work, 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 work. But since he's had this baby, he wants to see his baby. Right. And, and that, I think that's probably the the right response to that, right? Yeah. This is cool. See, you're changing the world, Ashley. It's neat. Slowly. Well, you're, you're at least understanding the world, and then you're reporting it. That's, I think, important. Uh, anything else we need to know about happiness? If you had to think of, I call it just the one thing, what should all of us remember about, Like, is the one thing that we could do today? The one thing that if we just did this a little bit more, our happiness would improve, what would that look like? Whenever you take out your credit card or, or making a spending decision, think about whether and how that spending decision changes your time. It's such a weird thing. Like we really don't, people really don't, are not good at making trade-offs between time and money. But really ask yourself before, you know, you buy that new pair of cool pair of sneakers on the internet. Could I be using something instead to change my time? And if so, what does that look like? Ah. And, and I think that's the one, the one thing out of this research is, you know, money and time are are actually interchangeable. Yeah. The more we work, the less free time we have. That's true. Um, you and, know, the more we spend, the more we're going to need to make more money, which will chip away into the free time that we have. So really just ask yourself when you're making a spending decision, could this money instead be used to change the way that I spend my time? Love it. Love it. Ashley Willans, thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. I'll uh, talk to you yeah, five years. Five years. Today. It'll be Dr. <laughs> Will Lands then. Thanks, Ashley. All right. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, interesting. Isn't that um, – it's such an interesting question. When you pull your credit card out, is it going to – is this going to positively impact your time? And think about it. I mean, refinancing your house, buying that new car. Instead of keeping the old car, you really want the new car. Buying that new car, is it going to impact your time with the people you love? Well, yeah, but they'll have a great seat in the back and they can watch the videos. Well, is that going to help time with family? Interesting, interesting subject. We'll take a break, folks. Come back to a little Coach's Corner on the topic. Stick with us. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little coach's corner for you here. Um, as we've been learning about the value of time, right? You want your time, uh, and those people that chose time over money, they showed a, a higher sense of happiness. And uh, the researcher, Ashley Willans, was telling us that 
they do show a higher level of happiness depending on what they go do with their time, right? And one of the things she kept mentioning over and over and over was the fact that if they go and spend it with people they care about, with the relationships that matter to them, then it matters. So time matters, um, but it's not the time that's going to just make you happier. It's what you do with the time. It's the choice of how you spend your time. And so um, in the Coach's Corner, I wanted to just give you some ideas of maybe how to strengthen the time that you have with the people that you love, right? Because, you know, have you ever gone on a trip with your family and you thought, oh, wow, when's this thing going to end? I mean, I love them and everything, but we've got three more days of this trip. So here's some rules of just uh, how to hopefully find the time and actually spend the time that you find to make a little healthier relationship. One thing, number one, is find the compliment, not the critique. Um, If all of a sudden in the middle of this time that we're spending together, what we're doing is just critiquing each other, whether the critique is out loud or not, if I'm sitting there thinking of, man, why does my wife do this? Or why are my kids like this? And that's where my head goes. Eventually, that's where my heart will go, right? My thoughts are going to lead to my feelings. If I am thinking critique, I'm going to feel negative. And if I feel negative, I'm eventually going to act it out. I might just speak it out. You guys are lazy. Or I might act it out and just start slamming doors and whatever. So make sure that when we are together, we try to find compliments and use more positive language. If anything, have at least more positive thoughts. And and, Because remember, your language is going to communicate that you care or not. Um, Another rule is lose the excuses. Uh, I taught time management for years with um, the industry leader, Franklin Covey, for years doing it and in and out, heard every excuse you could imagine about why people don't make time in their lives and for, for important things. But now we're finding out by the research, whether you make the time or not, you're going to pay for it because it's going to be your happiness. It also could be your health. You may have a great excuse for why you don't exercise, but in the end, it's just still your body, right? So it, it's not about more time. If I gave you another day, you would use it the exact same way you choose to use every other day that's free to you. It's So careful of your excuses because nobody buys them anyway except you. <laughs> And uh, if you really want to have some peace of mind and some happiness, you're going to eventually have to choose it. Another rule that uh, comes from the book First Things First is uh, a simple – it's a time management book – is the simple idea of make sure you're focusing on the important, not the urgent. Most of us as humans spend our lives reacting to urgent things in our lives. If the phone rings, you're going to pay attention to it, right? If you keep getting text messages that keep pinging your, your device, you will look down at those text messages. But just because something is urgent doesn't equate to it always being important. All things that ring in this world are not equally important. And many of the things that are most important in our lives aren't urgent until you've lost them. Like your health is always important, but it's not urgent until they're calling 911. Then it's like, I shouldn't have done that taco cleanse for 30 days. It's killing me. Important things sometimes are not urgent until it's too late. So make sure you're asking yourself a very simple question every day. What's the most important thing I can do today to 
strengthen my relationship? Or what's the most important thing I can do today to have a positive impact at work? Ask the important question, not the what's the most urgent thing that needs to be done. And last but not least, sit down with the people you love and formalize time. As Ashley told us earlier, plan your time ahead. You already know three weeks from now you have a free afternoon on Saturday. It's already there. So go put on the calendar next Saturday we're going on a date. Plan ahead. By planning ahead, you'll actually always have time with the people you love. That's the Coach's Corner, folks. Uh, Fairly basic stuff, eh? We'll take a break. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, my friends. We'll be right back with a whole new hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Coach Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Got a great, great show for you this hour. We're going to be speaking with Robert Reynolds, who is uh, a manager and agent for um, Imagine Dragons and the Killers. That's a pretty big guy, pretty big deal. He's got a book out called uh, Unstuck, and we're going to be talking with him. It's really, it's, it's cool. Um, he doesn't talk much about the group, the Imagine Dragons or the Killers, Um but, you know, that's the that's the world where you think they're, you know, these are godless, crazy musicians. And uh, so coming from that that stereotype of partying and yeah. drugs and drinking and all this, he comes with this idea of how to how to hold your ground and not let yeah. yourself succumb to that lifestyle and how to and do it with your Christian values. It's a very kind of Christian oriented book. Uh, and the book's called Unstuck. So when you get stuck in sin, how to get unstuck and get your life back. Robert uh, Reynolds will be with us in a minute. But to first, I got to <laughs> – this story reminded me of you, Terry. Hey, um, I'm just, a... just going to take issue with that before we start. Okay. Because none of these stories are ever super positive. Issue taken. Uh, a man realizes that he left his wife behind at a gas station 50 miles after he had left the station. You know that feeling where you're like, what the? Oh, boy. Did I forget something? She's going to kill me. A tourist in Brazil who stopped at a petrol station found himself having to make an urgent turn back after he realized he had left his wife behind. By the time he had discovered his grave mistake, he was 50 50 miles away. It's like she's sure being quiet. I think she's mad at me. The man identified only as Walter was returning to Argentina after holidaying with his family in Brazil. The oversight happened when his wife, who had been asleep in the back seat, awoke to get cookies from the store as he used the restroom. The couple's teenage son did not realize that his mother was missing either. He was too absorbed playing games on his mobile phone. Hmm. Notice, by the way, the father and the son. This is what she's been telling him for they're years. Like, they're like, oh, she's gone. Stephen Covey. The seven habits of highly effective people guru guy, he did the exact same thing to his wife. And he ended up getting pulled over by a highway patrolman that said, um, your wife, she did the same thing. She 
he thought she was asleep in the back and he went in to use the restroom and he got in his car, thought she was still asleep in the back, but she was in the restroom. And he's like, ah, your wife, they're calling me saying that your wife is back at the petrol station. Anyway, interesting. Yeah, that'd be tough to uh, walk your way back out of that. Yeah. In but, some way, like apologize. I don't know what you do there. Yeah. You just left her. Let's just say that it, she was less than pleased to see both of them later. She was mad. Sad, sad day. You guys, pay attention to your spouse and your mother. They deserve your time and attention, too. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Robert Reynolds will be joining us, talking about his book, Unstuck, How the Savior Frees Us from Our Favorite Sins. Interesting stuff coming from a media mogul. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, are we uh, are we lucky today? Holy cow! In the news lately, you've heard some stories about uh, Glenn Fry dying from the Eagles, David Bowie dying, and as they, it's interesting as you'd hear them talk about their lives, you'd end up finding out, wow, they really did live rock and roll lives, partying, lots of drinking, this rock star style life a rock star type of life, um, you know, it's got a lot of supposed, you know, alcohol or alcoholism, drinking, a lot of partying going on, drugs, stuff that, you know, maybe you don't want to deal with. But if you're in the rock and roll world, don't you have to go there? Well, our guest today is in the rock and roll world, I guess uh, we can say. His name is Robert Reynolds, and he happens to be the manager, the lawyer for some pretty big name bands. And he's uh, the author of a new book called Unstuck. The the bands, by the way, Robert, uh, Imagine Dragons, one of my favorites, but really the Killers. That's where you're front and center. That's that's where I began. Yeah, I was working a law firm in New York City and uh, found the Killers about ten years ago. Moved to Vegas and have been working with them ever since. And, and which is interesting because you found the Killers here in Utah. Las Vegas. In Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Brandon Flowers, one of the, the founding voice of sure. the killers. Um, but you also are into Imagine Dragons. You've been with the Neon Trees. Some mm-hmm. really big names out there. Yep. How does just some local Vegas boy become the big lawyer and the big you know rep manager of these big bands? That's a great question. Uh, you know, I think it's luck and maybe a little hard work and a lot of blessing. I mean, it was... I was doing a different kind of law in New York. I was at a firm called Skadden Arps. Went to NYU Law School, and I was doing trademark work for the NBA and a little on the Napster appeal, if you remember that. Oh, yeah, that was huge. MP3.com, kind of big music entertainment work, and did a record deal for Ryan Shoup and the Rubber Band right. out of Utah. Yeah, and I know them. That's yeah, great. They're good guys. Yeah. So Ronnie Venucci, the killer's drummer, I, I played in a band with him when I was young. And the, the, incidentally, the bass player from Neon Trees was the bass player. Ronnie was the drummer. Right. So we were all friends. Holy cow, cool. And Ronnie hears about uh, you know, what happened with Ryan Shoop and the Rubber Band and said, hey, you know, get my band a record deal. And he was in another band at first. And then he transitions to The Killers, and I get a demo. And I just flipped out. I, you know, Mr. Brightside was on it and oh. a couple other songs. And I was like, this is a hit. So I flew to Vegas, and my brother and I sat down and listened to him play the demos. And I was like, I want to be your lawyer. And, uh, I mean, they had almost no fans at the start. Yeah. It was just early, early days. Uh, 
cut to I tried I tell the firm in New York, hey, you you know we should represent these guys. Like we don't do this stuff. Yeah. So uh, and they're like, you're spending too much time with them because I'm working on their trademark and operating agreement, whatever. And they're like billable hours, billable hours. Yeah, Robert. this is this is stupid. <laughs> what are you doing with this little band out of right. Vegas? So I quit, and so I moved from the biggest firm in America at the time, which had the highest paying salary, and then I moved to Las Vegas to join the family firm. Cut my salary to one third. Unbelievable. No clients, but the killers and a couple other ones. And uh, and it was it was actually kind of scary because for a while all the record labels passed on him. No so, one wants him. Yeah, nobody wants – it was just too early for the time. Everybody passes. Then fortunately this the small U.K. indie label signs them. They do really well in the U.K. And then those same labels in America all of a sudden become interested. We get a bidding war and it was great. Halfway through the first record, uh, I became their manager as well. They fired yeah. their former manager. So then, since then I've been their manager and their lawyer. Unbelievable. And then – I mean you left the big town to go to the small town – but then made it big town again. I guess I, you know. But like that's was, scary. It was. You risked it all, really. I mean, I guess you could have gone back, but I don't think so. A lot you of know, times I you don't get it. a second shot, do you? After maybe about a year, I think that they would have said, "What have you been doing the last year again?" Yeah, loser. <laughs> yeah, that did you're, not you're work. Not invited. But then from the Killers, uh, some other bands you've repped or worked with, uh, Neon Trees. Sure. What order did they come in? And, and Imagine Dragons. Right, Neon Trees was second in, in that list. There's been some other clients along the way, but Neon Trees again. The bass player played bass in the band I was in, and just. Randomly, his band Neon Trees was also great. Yeah. And I was like, "Wow, you know, I can help you guys." That's and, right. But is that Brandon? Uh, yeah, Brandon Campbell, Campbell is the bass player. Bass, yep. Yeah, and Tyler Glenn's the lead singer. And so, I did their record deal and management deal, and worked with them for some over the years. And, and a then, lot of them came. I mean, a lot of these people came out of out of BYU too. Some of them were BYU students, which is kind of what we're getting to eventually. Is these are these are just good people that aren't used to partying hard necessarily. Some of them and neon trees for sure. Yeah, yeah they're, they're I believe it. yeah every one of them is LDS right now. So you know they're they were good guys. And then Imagine Dragons is kind of a crazy story. That's yeah. Talk about that. So I'm the I'm the oldest of nine kids, uh, eight boys, one girl. Oh and wow. He is my my brother Dan is the seventh seventh son. Really? The one that usually shouldn't amount to anything. <laughs> right. Well, in a way, he didn't. So, okay, I mean, yeah. not, you know, yeah, you'll, he's you'll into hear the rock story. and roll music. So, yeah, well, so his, his older brothers are a dentist, a plastic surgeon, an anesthesiologist, and three lawyers. <laughs> so, those are the ones above him. Yeah. We all graduated from BYU in yeah. professional school. Everybody did well, you know, high, high achieving, you know, whatever family. <laughs> and Dan says, Hey, mom and dad. Oh, wow. I want to drop out of BYU and uh, start a rock band. Unbelievable. Or you pursue this music thing. Yeah. He started at BYU and a little bit, and he went through some changes, but he wants to do this. And, you know, of course, my parents are like, what? Rock and roll? <laughs> what are you thinking? How <laughs> is this a good idea? And I remember talking to them, actually, and and uh, them saying, so what are what is the chance of them having this success. Was it, were they asking you that as a professional yeah, it was lawyer kind of like, in the industry? Hey, you know, you've got the killers, so so this, there's a secret. You know you know how to do it. And, yeah. of course, there is no, there's no there's secret. No secret. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, you know what? Um, the statistical chances of them being really successful is zero. Wow. There, there's, there's no real chance. But my, my opinion is I'm like, Dan's talented. You know, give him a chance. Let's yeah. give him a few years and see what happens. And if nothing happens, maybe he needs to go back to That's work. Right. Whatever. Go back to school and get yeah. a professional degree. But, like but the Dan wrestling. was totally committed. He um, he knew he could do it. He knew it was what was he was he was supposed to do, 
and he is a hard worker. Same thing. Oh. Brandon Flower is an extremely hard worker. They're both really. You, you hard have to be right. I mean, yeah. in a way, because there's so many people vying for this position. Oh yeah, you got to stand out. But Imagine Dragons, they're killing it. Yeah, they're, I mean, they were really. He's been really fortunate. Don't they have? Don't they have something big coming up? Uh, don't aren't Super Bowl or I don't know. I just saw somewhere. Didn't they just perform? I don't know. They're doing a lot of yeah. They're doing big things. That's your Killers job. Doing get some big get on that. Get them a Super Bowl gig. Killers are doing a opening the Las Vegas arena, which should be fun in oh, wow. April. And so uh, here you Imagine sit. Dragons next album. Uh, can you be in this industry and not just turn into a drug addicted burnout? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I actually I've thought about this a lot. Is after having written this book, I've been asked a few times. And the book, just to be clear, it's not an autobiography. Yeah. It's not an expose on my bands. It's a doctrinal book. It's a book about your your spiritual beliefs. The book's called Unstuck, How the Savior Frees Us from Our Favorite Sins. Yeah. And so, I mean, it deals with those issues. But this question of who am I to write that book and, you know, yeah. the world of temptation that I guess the the industry is and living in Las Vegas. I'm, you know, I'm not a BYU professor. I'm not a professor anywhere. Yeah. I'm not— a church leader. You're just a guy. I'm just a guy, right? I'm just a, I'm an entertainment lawyer and a manager. But you know, I see, I see clients, and you know, I see people in the industry that can maintain their faith. And I just, I think it, it isn't easy though, because you know, the more you're surrounded by temptation, the more you're tempted, and yeah. the more you're tempted, the more you're liable to to find yourself entrapped by sin and, and not able to make changes, which is, again, what the book's about. And, and, and then you get stuck. And you're also being advised by people that don't always have your spiritual interests at heart. Oh, yeah. At all. Yeah. So it's like we can make money or you can maybe sometimes maintain this, yeah. this standard. Yeah. I, you know, I, I sometimes wonder if some of the people that surround those in the music business want them to spend all of their money and kind of be in this rock bottom place where they'll say yes to anything that pays a dollar. Yeah. So. Well, and and do they listen to you? I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't even say anything. Try, like that. Yeah. They, I mean, my job as a manager is you're you're kind of a go between of the entire of all the world of requests in the band, but the band makes the decisions, and so, so you have to take it to the band. I take it to the band. That's what it is. And the, you know, the the label, the publishing company. The booking agent, the press people, any random requests that come in, you analyze it all, you bring it to them, they make the decisions, and you go back. And really, my job is to facilitate and help them succeed the way that you know they're the artist. Right. I don't, I don't want to pull the strings and be some Backstreet Boy manager. I don't yeah, think that's the you way to do it. You don't want that. Yeah, and they don't. They wouldn't have it. They they wouldn't stand for it, and and it's not the right way. So well, and so talk to us about um, what you see because I, I assume they get into this. Like when I just watch, I, I'm on um, Dan's uh, in Instagram feed, and I see picture after picture after picture of him in front of an audience in every city in the world, and then a little backstage thing. You know, he's playing around with some kid or something. But it's every day, and it's all day having these people praise you, love you. Everybody tells you yes, probably. Um, I guess is that is that where they start to just get sucked in? You know, jeez, uh, the book isn't about that. I don't know that I can speak a lot to it, but I do think that anytime anybody gets um, a lot of money and maybe a lot of fame, you can buy a lot of yes men around you. You can yeah. you can get a lot of praise, and and maybe I don't know that 
it, it always makes people worse, but I do think it allows you to your weaknesses you don't even notice them maybe. Your weaknesses, your strengths, all of your attributes can be expanded. Maybe you say, I'm successful, and so these attributes of mine must work for me, and mm. you it's, allow them to. And maybe continue. it's the fame. I always say, like, technology is kind of just a magnifying glass. It just magnifies your weakness. So if your weakness, and or if one of my weaknesses is laziness, then I'll use my technology to make me more lazy. Oh, yeah. But if my, maybe fame does the same thing. I think it could. But I also, you know, I've got to say that the, the bands that I work with, I wouldn't say that has they happened to any do of that. them. No. And, I, and, I so, and maybe that's one of the keys to the book. Talk about, I mean, of all things you could write about, you choose to write about getting unstuck. Um, why, why did you choose this book, this topic, Sure. Um, and and so maybe just get into it. Teach us what you what why. You know, I think that the gem of this idea started when I was I was serving a Mormon mission, and I was in South Carolina, and I was having dinner with this bishop who had been a bishop for fourteen years, which wow. ne- never happens. Yeah, that's it's like a, a long rare. Time. And he said, "This is what I've learned most as bishop: we all narrow our sins down to the few we enjoy." <laughs> And uh, that hit me like a ton of bricks because yeah. I'm this like, you know, eager missionary. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? You know, we don't want to sin. And then I thought, well, wait, you know, we do. And, you know, we know all our sinners and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible, all scriptures talk about how we're all sinners. But what we do is we don't really explore the whole landscape of sin. Instead, we pick these sins that we love. Yeah. And we keep doing them. And what I believe is the reason why we get stuck is when you continue to do a sin over and over again, something you know you shouldn't do, but you think you want to do for whatever reason, eventually you can't change. You can't get out of that spot. You're trapped. You really become trapped. You know, that there's scriptures that talk about flax and cords that become strong, strong chains or strong cords where you can't escape. There's a, a great quote by uh, Elder James E. Talmadge. This is a Mormon general authority, but I love this quote, where he says, Repentance is not always possible. As the time of repentance is procrastinated, the ability to repent grows weaker. Neglect of opportunity in holy things develops inability. Mm. That's just crazy. There's this idea that you can actually find yourself unable to change. And all the talks that you hear about willpower and white knuckling it, yeah. and and you can do it and just obey, and right? Just have faith, like like you just have it on your own instead uh-huh. of it being a gift anyway. But you know this, the focus on personal righteousness, I think, is dangerous for a lot of Christians and a lot of Mormons as Christians as well. I should clarify. Be- be- well, because part of what, part of what we do is we we sit there instead of turning it over to our God to help us, we kind of think. We have to do it. Yeah. We think we can do it. Yeah. And there is, it's just, it's false because if you could, I mean, you can do it maybe with a lot of minor transgressions, but when it comes to the sins that you enjoy, that you've done for years and years, you can't do it because if you could, you would have already. Right. And you just need to realize that. That's and, a lot of the change is just being honest with yourself. Like, I can't actually change this. Well, when you think about like Alcoholics Anonymous, that's pretty much the first step is admit your your lack of power to handle this, to yeah. do this alone. And to be real with yourself that you actually want to change. I really think that that fundamental step, faith, faith according to the scriptures, comes from sincerity of desire and humility. And that sincere desire, we are not accustomed to making real decisions and saying, I'm not going to half-heartedly do this. I'm committed. I'm going to make this change. 
And I tell some stories about that throughout that's, the book. Yeah. That's powerful stuff. Let's take a break. Again, we're speaking with Robert Reynolds, um, who is an entertainment lawyer, manages the killers, Imagine Dragons. He's their lawyer. Um, but he's also worked historically with Neon Trees and a lot of uh, great people. Today he's teaching us about how to get unstuck from our own habits, our own addictions, our own issues uh, that, that maybe, you know, easily beset us. Um, he's going to teach us how uh, the Savior and God frees us from our favorite sins. When we'll take a break, we'll come back more with Robert Reynolds and the book Unstuck in just a minute. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Honored to uh, have Robert Reynolds with us, who's the author of the book Unstuck, How the Savior Frees Us from Our Favorite Sins. And uh, Robert brings a a very, I think, special, unique look at helping people uh, improve their lives um, spiritually because Robert is an entertainment lawyer who manages some really incredibly popular bands like The Killers, Imagine Dragons. He's worked uh, in the past with Neon Trees. And uh, he's the author of this book, which is a very religious book, really. It's pretty much – it's a very spiritually kind of religious-based book. And who would thunk? Who'd have thunk it? Yeah. You know, I actually uh, – I wanted to release this under a pseudonym. Did you really? Yeah. yeah. It would have been easier. I actually really tried to. Did you? And, yeah. Deseret Book didn't want that, which makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Covenant was going to do it. Yeah. Wait, should I say that on yeah. the air? Oh, right sure. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. The Covenant will do anything. No, no. <laughs> no they're kidding. awesome. No, they are awesome. But it was a really tough decision uh, because I did not want – I mean, it's a, it's a gospel doctrine book. It's yeah. under the, the doctrine section you know, of the it's, bookstore. It's really churchy, except yeah. you really get to some very basic core – spiritual principles that have to be there if you really want to get unstuck. So yeah. you, so you kind of didn't want to mix the two worlds if you didn't have well, to. And yeah, and I wasn't I wasn't trying to write like uh that type of book. This really is like a practical doctrinal study of repetitive sin and having a change of heart and that kind of change that comes through the atonement. And that's not really how that jives with yeah. the music business. <laughs> no. It doesn't. And so I didn't want but to it, uh, Yeah. It jives with you your know. spiritual self. It's me. It's, it's my you, voice. It's who you are. Right. It's just, yeah. And then I think everyone else wants to pl- you know, plug the other side. Sure. Which but, I get. I but I love it. the repetitive sin thing, too, because every everybody out there in listener land, whatever your faith, set, or belief, they're all—everyone's got some repetitive sin, and they even get little promptings like, I got to quit doing yeah. that. Yeah. And you're, so what are some of the principles you teach to help us get unstuck from that sin, that issue? Well, here's kind of a broad one. I'll, I'll jump forward just a, a quick story. Um, again, this is a, something that happened on my mission, but everybody knows this experience. No, mission, those are the, if you've ever seen the little, the LDS missionaries out there in their white shirts, you went and did I that, was one Robert. Of those. You were one of those guys. Yeah, I was one of those. And okay. one of the things in South Carolina that we did is we taught top, stop smoking programs. Uh, there was just a lot of people that wanted to quit smoking at the time, and missionaries. That was just one of the service things that we provided. So we had a program where we'd sit down with people. And I mean, I remember stories of of people that wanted to change so bad. I thought I remember a a woman in a trailer and her kids were crying saying, mom, please stop smoking. It was just filling the trailer with smoke. And she was, she wanted it so badly. And I remember men that would put post-its all around their house and go to work and tell everybody at work, don't let me smoke again. Don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke. Yeah, exactly. And they'd buy carrots and cinnamon candies and drink orange juice, all this stuff. 
And you'd think they'd want it. But every time when someone failed and they went back to smoking, there was the same thing. As I'd say, well, where'd you get that cigarette? And they'd say, well, just in case I left a few cigarettes in the sock drawer. Just in case. Just in case. And, <laughs> and that idea of like really wanting change and making that decision is one of the steps, is just being honest with yourself of you know, those should versus want moments yeah. where, where you're stuck and you say, all right, they're passing the joint. I think it might feel good to smoke uh, this smoke this weed right yeah, now. Yeah. And um do I want to? And and you might say, Well, I know I shouldn't. Well that's okay, but what about do you want to? The Be want. honest about your wants. And that's what it really goes down to is you know, the Lord grants unto men according to their desires, their wants, their willingness. He he is merciful to to grant you that, but he's not gonna change your desires. If you really oh, want to do it. Man, you know, you're in a tough spot there. That's huge because you're trying to move somebody by a should, but yeah. a should isn't in their heart yet. A should's no. kind of in their mind. The want is in their heart. Yeah. So and you're not going to get it out of them until they are doing what they want. Those moments are so key to be honest with yourself, wrestle with the Lord about who you want to be and what that kind of person does. And what are the real consequences? A lot of times we don't explore. We keep going back and saying, I really want to quit. I really want to yeah, quit. Yeah, yeah. Because there's negative consequences. Well, really weigh them out for once instead of just in the moment when, it tempting, when a temptation is so strong. You know, there's a great scripture in Corinthians, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but, you know, it's, there hath no Hold temptation. Hold on. Like Donald Trump called it two Corinthians. Okay. Is it second Corinthians or is it one Corinthian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. There, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you that ye be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with the temptation prepare a way that you'll be able to bear it, overcome yeah. it, something like that. Wow. But he says a way. And it struck me. I was like, he doesn't say every way. Yeah. You're and, not going to have every way. That way. Yeah. Yeah. There are ways. Way. You could be a heroin addict with a loaded needle in a bedroom. And you know what? That's not the way to overcome it. You, you may not have the strength to overcome it there. And so another principle here is you've got to avoid temptation. You really have to be humble and realize your weaknesses and say, you know, I, I don't have what it takes to overcome this weakness alone. And you need the Lord to grant you dispositional change. You need, you need to have your heart changed. The book of Ezekiel talks about the Lord removes a sto- your stony heart and replaces it with a heart of flesh. So I talk a lot about this concept of hard-heartedness, mm. where it's like, I love the analogy of a, a callus on your foot. Like, you know, the, your, your shoe is rubbing your foot and it irritates you. It's uncomfortable. So your skin forms a callus, so you're not irritated. Well, the problem is when you keep committing sin, the Holy Spirit tells you, the light of Christ tells you, your conscience tells you, this isn't good. You yeah. shouldn't be doing this. Right. And you're like, this isn't comfortable. I want to be comfortable right, right now. Yeah. And so your heart grows hard. It says, I don't want to feel uncomfortable anymore. And it builds that shield or that callus. Yeah, and then you have this hard heart, and the Holy Spirit can't touch you. And then you don't really know. When scriptures say wickedness never was happiness, man, you don't know what happiness is when it comes to that. Because all you know is that's a temptation that you just can't stop, and you think you like it. Yeah. And if you explore it deep enough and find you don't, you want to change, you need your heart changed. You need to see that temptation differently so that you really don't want to— engage in that sexual addiction or drug addiction or alcohol addiction or if you've got an issue with anger or gossiping or, you know, whatever you find yourself, sins of commission or omission, things you do or, and, and shouldn't or things you want to do and don't, you need to, uh, you need to humble yourself. You know, there's a, a scripture in the Book of Mormon, if I can yeah, go. give this one. Uh, so Moroni said, if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. 
I give unto men weakness, that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then I will make weak things become strong unto them. I love that scripture. It's kind of a fundamental principle of the book, of this idea of you can have your weaknesses not just less weak. Yeah. They can be strengths, and scriptures are full of it. You look at the greatest, exa- the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, of Moses and Enoch and Isaiah, who you know, they founded Christianity, great, obviously, orators in their own way as prophets, yet all of them were slow of speech mm-hmm. or men of unclean lips. Right. Previously, they were. Or you look at the greatest apostle of the New Testament, you know, or greatest missionary, sorry, of the New Testament. Greatest missionary is probably Paul. Right. Well, what did Paul do he, before? Yeah, he was like a tax collector, wasn't he? Wasn't he, a, he was a jerk. He was an he, IRS agent. He wanted to destroy the church. That's right. He sought to destroy the church. So that was obviously a great weakness that yeah. became a great strength. We can all have weaknesses become strengths, but we need to be really humble and we need to have faith. And actually, I got a question yeah, talk, for you. Yeah, yeah. So I've wondered about this. As I was writing the book, I started thinking I was repeating myself about humility and faith. What do you think is similar between the two? See if see if I'm crazy on this idea. Okay, okay. So this, what is similar between humility and faith? What are they? Like, just try to define it. And as, faith. So faith would be a belief in like God, I guess, or a belief in something you don't see. Yeah. Let's let's make it about the Savior, though. Okay. So if a Related belief in the Savior. Okay. That you don't maybe necessarily see every day, but you got to believe He can heal you from whatever's going on. Sure. And humility. Humility is being teachable. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna see. I'll tell you what I thought. And tell me if yeah, I'm crazy. Yeah, yeah. So we know that the I can't even remember which apostle said it, but the uh, Satan also believes, right? Yeah. The devils believe and tremble. The difference isn't belief; it's that it's trust. And the the Latin word for faith is trust. You can't. It's not just to believe the Savior exists. Right. Real faith is is placing your trust in Him. It's saying instead of relying on the arm of flesh, yeah. on me and what I can do, I'm going to trust in You. I'm going to trust in the Lord, and that He can deliver. He it. can deliver. Right. I'm going to trust that. I'm going to rely on Him alone. Humility is saying the same thing. Right. Yeah. I can't do it by myself. I'm, I'm I, not I'm able. humbled enough to be open to I've the got, answer. Yeah. Somebody. Yeah. I can't do it. And so humility is like I can't do it. I've got to rely on something beyond so myself. True. And faith is. I can't do it. I'm going to rely on something beyond myself. And that's the the Savior, in my opinion. Maybe that's it. Faith is just directed toward the Savior in a way. Yeah. Um, But see, that's the the answer. And yet, and we we see it in AA, the 12-step process, is that what it's called? 12-step program, is completely around these principles, and it gets people unstuck. Now, not all of them. But Similarities, for the neat sure. thing about the human being, though, maybe not the neat, but the the uh, I guess the elusive thing is that we also can pretend like we're working on it, yeah. while subconsciously not. Yeah, you know what I mean. That that collusion or whatever we call that. Yeah, we because we are we're receiving some benefits. Yeah. from that sin. We're talking. We're talking. We're double talking. Yeah, not a double-minded man is an enemy of God or whatever. Um, so when you look at this, I mean, I, I I see so many of us, and it's in a way that it doesn't even have to just be sin. Like you were saying, it could be a weakness. Yeah, it could be an weakness. affliction. It could be anxiety. Yeah, and your anxiety keeps you from doing things you want to be doing, and it makes you stay stuck. 
It's great. I, you know what? I didn't even write that in the book. I need to edit it right now. And that's what I feel like. <laughs> I, have, I have a friend right now that is on an LDS mission but wants to come home because of his anxiety. Oh, yeah. But his heart says, I should stay. But then I ask, is that really what you want? Is yeah. what you really – it was exactly what you were talking about. Do you really want to stay in your mission or do you really, really want to come home? I would wonder also if he really wants to be anxious. Does he want to have a little – is there anything that's he's gaining I, from that you anxiety? Know, that's what I ask every client is what are you gaining from this thing you're doing? Because yeah. humans are fairly motivated to keep doing what serves them. Yeah. So when I asked him those two things, he finally came clean with me that what – because he was having bad dreams and he and he was always exhausted and he, he didn't feel well. And so what I said is uh, it sounds like what you really, really want is to come home. Is that mm-hmm. what you really want? And he's like, he finally Great. came clean. He said, yeah, yeah, I really just want to come home. He just needs to be sure that's what he wants. That's it. And know? that's what we do. Now we've given him some time. And interestingly, the more we give him time to think about it, he, because I said, you keep here talking about God taking you out of this. He goes, yeah, I've tried and God just doesn't take me out of it. And I'm like, yeah. or is it that you really just want to go home? Because <laughs> God won't change your desires. Right. It's so true. He's not going to do, he can't, no. right? That's your, that's agency. your agency. He's not going to mess with that. But you also brought up a, a really interesting point because we always think that people are free to choose. Yeah. But you can't choose something that isn't a choice anymore. Yeah. Right? So uh, even though you have agency to act, you may not have freedom. Like I can't if if my if we make a great dinner and there's no more meatloaf, I'm not I'm no longer free to choose meatloaf. Then. Right, you could choose it. It's just not <laughs> it's, there. It's not there anymore. Or if I you know have my mouth wired shut, I'm not free to choose to have steak. Yeah. So it's what we do and how we act and these some things things we get stuck in actually would limit freedoms entirely. I, I love the idea also of. You may be free to make a choice, but you can't choose the consequences of that choice. That's true. And so you've got to, again, be honest and say, what are really the consequences of my anxiety, of my anger, you know, of whatever addiction I've yeah. got? Whatever, what are the real consequences there? Robert, what, uh, what do your friends say about this? What does Dan uh, say about it? I mean, this is just pure. I think this is loving. This is a loving book. You're trying mm-hmm. to free people. But what do your friends in the entertainment world say? You know, the uh, those that are LDS, I think, are all supportive and say, "Great, you're you're writing a church book. Go for it. Yeah, make it <laughs> Dan, happen." Dan was great about it. You know, I was like, "Hey, do you want to like?" I, I wrote about you in here this part. What you what you write? I tell him, and he says, "I want to see it." No, no, I don't care. That's I, good. Do it. I, I trust you. You're yeah, my yeah. lawyer. <laughs> and and Brandon is, you know, he was supportive. It's like I said, I, I want to be very careful. I'm not. I yeah. don't want to uh, sell this book on the back of of my clients. It's not about that. Um, it really is a doctrinal book. But they've been supportive, and those that are not LDS that I'm friends with. Um, probably think I'm crazy. So I don't do they? Know. Yeah, do they? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. But it really is. To, a, it's your belief system. But yeah. um, I think I think most of the world would believe a lot of the principles you've taught. I, I 100% agree. I think you don't have to be Christian, Mormon, anything to understand the concept of of needing to be unstuck, needing change, and, and a higher power. Like you mentioned, yeah. the, the AA rules, a higher power being involved to help you have faith and humility and, and have changes. Um, as we wrap it up, Robert, what would you say is the one thing? If there's one thing that you would say is is the key, the beginning, the number one thing to begin your process of being unstuck? Honesty with yourself. Quit telling the story that's not what the real story. Yeah, just really decide 
are you are you happy with the decisions you're making? And if you're not, are you really unable to change? And if you're not, what do you need to do? Yeah. And then buy the book. That's it. And buy the book. <laughs> and the read the book. And read it. Yeah. You need to do an audio on it. Are you going to do an audio? Too? I already did. Did you? Yeah. Done. They, they made me use my voice. Which That's really good. I'm you, sorry, you, all you listeners. You got a great <laughs> voice, Robert. No, yours is great. Thank you very much. Um, so Robert Reynolds is his name. The book is Unstuck, How the Savior Frees Us from Our Favorite Sins. They can go anywhere to get it. Yeah, Just go Amazon.com. Yeah. It's Barnes & Noble. It's everywhere. And, and also support his other clients. Yeah. The Killers. Yeah. Imagine the killers, Dragons. Imagine Dragons. Go to the shows. That's good stuff. Yeah. Robert, thanks for being here. Thank You're you. You're I'm, 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 I'm reading this. In fact, I want you to sign it because my son will yeah. – that he's going on an LDS mission right away and he'll – he will immediately love this. Do you know where he's going? He's going to Independence, Missouri. That's awesome. Isn't that cool. Well, we both went stateside. South Carolina. When you're yeah. saying that, I'm like, oh, he's uh, going to love to hear I that. I was bummed at first, but it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. You're the man. Robert, thanks. Thank you. Appreciate you. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, continue the discussion uh, on the other side about, you know, getting unstuck. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies there at BYU Sports Nation. Uh, I, I believe Jason Shepard is holding down the fort while Spencer's uh, taking a call from his real estate agent. There, let's just say that there are, are pressing matters that <laughs> needed to be handled right now, and so yeah. I am happy to I get be- it. Just you, you and me, some one on one. I understand time. it. Isn't it? Isn't isn't Spencer talking to the guy that's designing his new grill? I, you know what? I think it has something to do with his uh, financial portfolio. I think he's, <laughs> I think he's wheeling and dealing. Yeah, is he like sell, sell? <laughs> <laughs> How are you, brother? Good to talk I'm, to you. It's been a while. I know. It's, it's good to talk to you. Now, and and Jerem is he? Uh, he's he's away at his, um, you know, hearing. Jerem, Jerem is, is not with us. Okay. He's not dead. He's, he's just not, not a, here today. He's just that, a, yeah, he's that at the came hearing. out wrong. Yeah, um, that sounds but no, bad. He, he's 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 uh, taking the day off. So uh, that's nice you know, of you to just fill in and be willing to take to one it. for the team. I always love doing it. So uh, so yeah, Spencer and I will be holding down the fort. Sweet, uh, coming up at the uh, top of the hour. Hey, I was thinking about you as I was watching um, and kind of scanning through the Super Bowl Fifty uh, opening media night. Uh, Twitter feed. Did you happen to see? I think his name. I don't know how you say it. Akib Talib's. Akib Talib. You got did, it. Did you Very see nice. his? Uh, did you see his watch? I did not. I, I've heard about it. I have not seen it. <laughs> eighty thousand dollar Rolex. So he's sitting there being interviewed, sporting an eighty thousand dollar Rolex. It reminded it's, me of you guys. And and why would that remind you of of us? Well, because he's sitting. <laughs> so so people that sit is like yeah, wow yeah it's I, like that guy's sitting I, that's I'm my, thinking of BYU Sports that, Nation he sits like Jason Shepard <laughs> what what is the the uh, and I don't want to put you on the spot yeah here, yeah but like what do you spend on a watch uh, well it depends um, usually if I get an Iron Man watch okay. a Timex from Walmart I spend about thirty five dollars okay but. Or if sometimes I'm gifted a watch from a friend that was an was a was a what do they call it an Apple Watch? I don't know what we call those. 
Oh, so you've got your you see yeah. I've I've not jumped aboard the Apple Watch. No, no, it's I, great. It is I, so I, great. But here's the thing. People this think is the I'm way I look at the Apple Watches. Yeah. The only people I want to have watches like that yeah. are my super spies. Oh, true. Well, that's I, me. that's that's the only people I want to have that kind of technology. Mm. I Dude. don't think that that should be for the the normal average Joe guy. No, you know what? Let me just tell you. Next time you're buying me, and just ask ask me like, hey, what's the weather? <laughs> and then I'll just give give me like three seconds, probably like a minute, and I'll figure it out. Or if you want to play tic tac toe, just say, "Dude, tic tac toe." The watch? Yeah. Oh yeah. Really? Oh yeah. 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 It's um. It's it's phenomenal. It's not. I don't have mine blinged out. It's just a watch, an exercise band. See, it just reminds me of the old Casios back in the day. Yeah, do you remember? You had like the calculator yeah, on them. I had one of those too. I had one of those. I, I will never forget in seventh grade, I, I was so <laughs> excited to have that for math class. Yeah, you were so cool. I was so excited to be able to have a calculator for math class in seventh grade. Did you get beat up or what? No, no, no. No, of course not. No. Seventh grade, as cool as you can be yeah, at yeah. that age. Mm-hmm. I, or as popular as you could be, I was popular. It wasn't until eighth grade where that fell completely off the uh, off the cliff. <laughs> did you did you used to put your collars up on your shirt? Oh no, you pop, probably pop too the young. collar. Yeah. Oh yeah, I would pop the collar occasionally. See, yeah, you were popular. See, it's becoming a little. You know, everybody's into the retro thing. Oh yeah, I, you, people are popping the collar now. Did, Wearing the Izod, popping the yeah, collar. Yeah. Did Did you used to wear corduroys? Uh oh, I've had I've had all that corduroys. I had parachute pants back in the day. Oh yeah. Had some maroon parachute pants that I'll never Ooh. forget. Those like are in like, the, like in the, the mid '80s, like kind of like MC Hammer. Well, no, it was pre MC Hammer. There was no bagginess to them. It was okay. just the parachute pants. Yeah, yeah, dude, I I've misinterpreted you. I thought you were just very, you know, very reserved, very reserved, very plain, yeah. milk toast. <laughs> well, most of the time I am. Yeah, but yeah, back in the day, now you had an edge. A little bit, a little bit. There's and a lot of bling. Nobody's ever said that to me, by the way, oh. that I have an edge. I am <laughs> I the least edgy no, guy me you will either. ever meet. I have never, people never, if I, yeah, I, I have no edge. I'm just dull. That's my point. Um, yeah, but all these NFL players are, uh, in fact, I got to ask you this. All the NFL players are blinged up, but this is the important thing. And you have to just, you're, you have to give me the definitive answer. Okay. Because uh, he told Belichick this might be his last rodeo. Mm-hmm. So is is, Man- is Peyton Manning is he out of here? I believe so. Don't you think? And if well, he I mean, could win it, oh, he's got to yes. be out of here. I mean, it, when you think about retiring, most people end up retiring kind of on a on a on a downturn. Oh, sure. You know, think things they're getting older. Right. You know, the body doesn't work like it used to. <laughs> they're not able to do the same things, yeah. and it's just time to hang them up. And his his boss, John Elway. Was able oh. to go out winning a Super That's right. Bowl. So John's sitting there saying, "Look, this is the time if you hit it." But I'm sure they don't want him to leave. But it's not like he can't come back and be a coach. No, and I mean, here's what Peyton Manning's going to do. I believe this is win or lose. I think this is it for him. He is going to immediately walk into a television job. Yeah, and he, you know, honestly, what he'll end up doing, he will be like the next uh, Chris Collinsworth. Oh wow! Or, yeah, or Troy Aikman, the analyst. You think he'll go TV instead of going to coaching? I think that that's where I'm not sure he wants to coach. Okay, yeah. He he's one of those guys that has such a wealth of knowledge, but I don't know if he wants to 
to use that in coaching. I, I, I just think he's such a personality to begin with. I, I see his future in TV. Mm, plus, but I, I think this is it. Win or lose, I, I think this is it for him. But plus, the I mean, he'd get a lot of. He's going to get a lot of uh, commercial work. He's going to be yeah. He'll be yeah, fine. I mean he's he's got he's what Papa John's he's got the direct yeah. TV commercial. I mean, he's he could he be the next OJ Simpson. Hmm. Hopefully not. I kind of fell bad, didn't? I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he could do the next lug the Hertz commercial he could be and hurdle yeah, and, and, and hurdle the luggage. <laughs> oh man, I think I blew it when I made the OJ reference. Hey, um. Jace, what do you, what's going on in the show today? What, busy, what are we doing? A jam-packed show, of if course. you will. Uh, a busy time for BYU football. Tomorrow is signing day mm. where all of the, uh, the high school kids, the JC kids, can officially start committing to their schools. Uh, so that's tomorrow. In the meantime, we're going to talk with one of the new coaches, uh, Gennaro Guilford. He's a former BYU player. A lot of BYU fans may remember him from 2001 where he intercepted. It was a game-saving interception against Utah. He, uh, he's been coaching down at, uh, at Southern Utah. He is now uh, the new cornerbacks coach, so we're going to have him in studio. We'll talk with him. Uh, we're also going to have Jacob Hartsock, who's coming off a very nice performance uh, for the BYU basketball team in a win over Pepperdine. Plus, it's one of our favorite segments, uh, Jamming with Juddy. Uh, oh. Jeff Judkins is going to be in studio. So I three in-studio guests today. It's going to be a blast. Man, and, and hopefully, hopefully Spencer's off the phone by then. Hopefully, you know what? Spencer has nine minutes to be here. We are going live right at 10 o'clock Mountain Time. Can I make sure you do, because what, Jerem, I don't know if you use the same pre-show routine. Jerem likes to go do about 100 push-ups, and then he likes to wax his back. Ooh, yeah. Uh, I don't need to wax my back. That's not um, true. But the push-up idea is not bad. I, I was up at 4 a.m. at the gym this morning, so I think I may be good on the push-up department. No, you know what? You're ripped. Yeah, you don't want to do more push-ups. That'll make Spencer look weird. <laughs> I don't know, but maybe I'll do some crunches before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I'm sitting a lot. Work you know, on you the want core. To do some crunches. Work on the core. That's what I do it's when I get a break. Okay, Jace, take care, my friend. Have a Have great a show. Day. Knock. Yeah, you too. Knock him dead. <laughs> Thanks. That's cool. He he's ripped. Jason Shepard, man, he looks like I used to before uh, the accident. Wait, what accident? Plantar. Plantar, okay. Before I got my plantar accident on my plantar fasciitis. Okay. I used to have such big arms that my shirts would just they just they would just be stretched to the end. How, how did your plantar affect your arms? It's weird. You know, we're one we're one human system. Ben, yeah, just a human system. Okay. No, I couldn't work out, so my arms got a little flabbier. Well, you could work your arms out. Wow. Gosh, I never thought of that. I guess I could have done push-ups. Yeah. <sighs> well, blew that. Oh, well. Hey, um, if you're a Pastafarian, you got to be careful. So do you remember Pastafarian – these are all those people that uh, – it's, it's a church out of um, – it's the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. And people have been wearing colanders on their head and claiming they're from the Church of Flying Spaghetti Monster. And, the, and they do it so they can go get their pictures taken um, in their uh, – with their driver's license, right? So here's the dilemma. They they have now, I guess, won a legal battle against the officials who wanted to ban him from wearing his 
his uh, colander on his head for his driving license mugshot. But you can't do that because it's his religious right to wear a, a strainer on his head. But the 38-year-old from Russian capital in Moscow successfully argued that, hey, I, I can wear it because it's my religion. But here's the problem. Uh, according to the city police, they have vowed to confiscate his license the minute that this guy is found driving without his yellow colander. Right? If he can drive without his headpiece, then it's obviously not a religious thing that he'd have to have his picture in uh, wearing it. So, um, you know, a spokesperson for Vladimir Kuzin says the next time this man is stopped and he isn't wearing a colander, his license gone. So uh, if you are a Pastafarian, please make sure you keep your your headgear on. <laughs> it's also, by the way, all of your headgear, all of your headgear. It's Groundhog Day. So make sure you uh, you pay attention to that. Uh, I, I think apparently we didn't lose any groundhogs this year. Well, yeah, and and be careful; the day might repeat. So just yeah. be be cautious of that. I already feel like I'm living Groundhog Day. Yeah, every day, over and over and over. And you're my Ned. Isn't the guy? <laughs> what's his name? Ned. Wow, thank you. I mean, in a good way. I mean that in a good do, way. Do you want some life insurance? No, 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 <laughs> no. We're good. We're good. Um, so it is I, Groundhog Day. I can day. show you my belly button whistling trick. No, 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 no. You're good. Just okay. No, you're good. You're good. Um, Groundhog Day. Also, the groundhog apparently um, has has told us that we're going to have a shorter winter, which is great because we keep getting pounded uh, here in in Utah. It's also World Play Your Ukulele Day. Ukulele. Yeah, ukulele. What was that? Ukulele. Ukulele. Yeah. The guy goes to Hawaii once in his life, and he comes back pretending like he speaks Hawaiian. I went once for six years. You're right. Right. Well, you were held. Yeah. You were arrested. Uh, and it's also Crepe Day. Crepe Day, which I love a good crepe. Uh, or if you pronounce it the way Ben does, it's Creepy Day. Right, Ben? Hey, um, as you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story because there's good things going on in the world, right? Not everything that's... Out there, it's just crazy. But here's the hero story. Brandon Haynes is a young man from Florida. He is the Townsend's hero of the day. Here's the story. 44-year-old Jorge Almeida approached the car and uh, and basically pulled out a handgun. Uh, actually, Janet Lackmore, first of all, was teaching her son Brandon Haynes how to drive a stick shift in a parking lot at a school. Haynes was, uh, you know... Never expected that in a few minutes he'd be saving his mom from a carjacker. So as they were practicing, 44-year-old Jorge Almeida approached the car, pulled out a handgun, and put it to Lackmore's stomach and ordered her to get out of the to get in the back seat of her Jeep. Almeida got in the passenger seat and pointed the gun at Haynes and ordered the boy to drive him to a boat ramp. Almeida had ordered the mother and the son out of the car. When he told them he needed money from them, and as they were walking back to the car, Haynes, the boy, acted fast, grabbing Almeida from behind and wrestling for the gun. The gun went off in the struggle, striking Haynes in the right knee. Once Haynes had taken the gun from Almeida, Almeida pulled a knife, but today was not Almeida's day. Haynes kicked the knife from his hand, and a witness who heard the gunshot ran over to help. 
Haynes and the bystander held Almeida down while Lackmore dialed 911. Authorities arrived and arrested Almeida, who is expected to appear in court on charges of attempted murder, armed kidnapping, and armed robbery. Authorities say the mother kept praising her son for what he was able to do. She called him her hero. He's also Townsend's hero of the day, Brandon Haynes, a teenager that uh, was willing to fight for his mom and their lives, and uh, we honor him today. Folks, there's a lot of good people out there. You're one of them. Take care of each other until tomorrow. Let's watch each other's backs. We'll be back again tomorrow to talk tomorrow. Take care.